Look sharp. Feel sharp. Be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blade with the sharpest edges ever home. Gillette Cavalcade of Sports is on the air. From Sportsman Park in St. Louis, Gillette presents the 15th annual All-Star Baseball game between top-ranking players of the American and National League. Hello, everybody. This is France Locke with Mel Allen and Jim Britt greeting you for the Gillette Safety Razor Company, maker of Gillette razors, blades, and shaving cream. Gillette is your radio host when outstanding sports events such as today's Classic, the World Series, and Kentucky Derby occur throughout the year. Now, this is the second time that the All-Star Game has been played here at Sportsman Park. You'll remember that back in 1940, the Cardinals were the host club. This year, the St. Louis Browns of the American League are the host club. And our hats are off to Mr. Markerman and DeWitt because they have everything in tip-top shape for this afternoon's ball game. They've even managed to get in a good word with the weatherman because this morning it was raining here in St. Louis. And the weatherman forecast cloudy weather with showers. But we're happy to say that right at the moment the sun is shining very brightly. However, there is a few clouds in the sky, but we have high hopes that we'll have an ideal afternoon for this ball clean. The two clubs have been out on the field for some time. The American League club was out first, have gone through their batting practice. And at the moment, the National Leaguers are taking theirs. And the clubs, we might say, have sent quite a few souvenir baseballs into the stands. And it looks like that it's going to be a capacity crowd here this afternoon. The tickets for this All-Star game have been sold out for weeks. The only thing that you've been able to buy for the last three or four days have been standing room tickets only. So it's Everything turns out okay. It's going to be a packed house and even a larger crowd than attended the All-Star game here back in 1940. You'll remember in that particular game that that's one of the few times that the National League has won in the All-Star contest, and that was the first shutout that happened in All-Star play. In the very second inning, Max West hit a home run with two men on, and then they went ahead to score another run along in the eighth inning, and it was four to nothing in favor of the National League. You know, this game originally was started through the efforts of Mr. Arch Ward, a sports editor of the Chicago Tribune up in Chicago, the same man who originated the idea of the all-star football game. And it's been carried on ever since, with the exception of 1945, when the game was out due to the fact of wartime travel. And since it originally started, the American League has won 10 of these victories, with the National League only winning four times. There's been two of the All-Star games that have been played at night. One was a twilight contest. All of the others have been afternoon games. And as you reminisce and look around, you'll see that only three players are actually active as players today from the group that originally participated in the All-Star game way back in 1933 at Comiskey Park in Chicago. And that happens to be Joe Medwick, Archie Vaughn, and schoolboy Rowe. Of course, there's quite a few others around that are coaches at the present time, but we mean fellows that are actually still playing baseball. We'll sort of skimp over some of the scores of the game since the All-Star League started to sort of bring you up to date. You'll remember that back in 1933, the American League team won by a score of 4-2. to two. 
Then the following year, the game was moved to the Polo Grounds in New York, in which the American Leaguers again won by a score of 9-7. to seven. And that's the particular series that Lefty Grove, or rather Lefty Hubble, Carl Hubble, gave his great exhibition of pitching when he struck out five of the greatest hitters in the game in a row. In fact, I believe he had six strikeouts in the two innings. And when he walked off from the mound at the Polo Grounds, the stands really rocked from the ovations that he received. Then there was the game of 1935 at the Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, and the American League again won by a score of 4-1. to one. In 1936, at Braves Field in Boston, that was the first win for the National League. The score in that particular game was 4-3 to three in favor of the National Leaguers. The next year, 1937, the game was played at Griffith Stadium in Washington. And the American Leaguers won by a score of 8-3. to three. And you'll remember in that particular game, that is the game where Dizzy Dean, while pitching for the National Leaguers, was hit on the toe by a line drive off the bat of Earl Averill. And we might say that that was really the start of the downfall of Dizzy Dean's pitching career because he came back and tried to pitch before the toe was in shape. And naturally, he threw the ball while off balance. And it eventually hurt his arm, and he never did get over it. The game of 1938 was played in Crosley Field, Cincinnati, and that was the second win for the National League. They came out on top in that particular contest by a score of 4-1. to one. In 1939, Yankee Stadium in New York, and the American Leaguers won out by a score of 3-1. to one. The game of 1940, as we mentioned earlier, was played right here at Sportsman's Park, and the National League won their third contest by a score of four to nothing. In 1941, the game was played at Briggs Stadium in Detroit, and that was another contest that had a dramatic finish when Ted Williams hit one right at the tail end of the game to break up the contest. And then in 42 at the Polo Grounds, the American League won three to one, a night game at Philadelphia in 43. The American Leaguers won 5-3. to three. A night game in 44 at Forbes Field, Pittsburgh. The National League won their last contest 7-1. to one. No game in 1945. In 1946 at Fenway Park, Boston, the American League won by a score of 12-0. And then in 1947 at Wrigley Field, the American League won by a score of 2-1. There's 28 American Junior Legion baseball players who are graduates of Junior Legion baseball participating in this all-star classic here today. I believe there's about 17 on the American League and 10 on the National League, if we remember correctly, on the dope. The groundkeepers are out now, manicuring the infield, getting the diamond in shape for this afternoon's game, and the two respective pitchers are starting to warm up. We'll run over the lineup hurriedly for you, and then Jim Britt, who will do the play-by-play -play on the first four-and-one-half innings this afternoon, will check them with you a little later on. For the National League, Richie Ashburn of Philadelphia in center field. Red Changey to the St. Louis Cardinals, second base. Stan Musial of the Cardinals in left field. Johnny Mize of the New York Giants at first base. Enos Slaughter of the Cardinals in right field. Andy Pasco of the Chicago Cubs, third base. Walker Cooper of the New York Giants, catch. Pee Wee Reese of the Brooklyn Dodgers at short. And Ralph Branca of the Brooklyn Dodgers will be the starting pitcher. In the American League, Pat Mullen of the Detroit Tigers, right field. Tommy Hendricks of the New York Yankees, left field. Lou Bedreau of the Cleveland Indians at short. Joe Gordon of the Indians at second base. 
Walter Hoot Evers of the Detroit Tigers, center field. Ken Keltner of the Indians, third base. George McQuinn of the New York Yankees at first base. Buddy Rosar of the Philadelphia Athletics will be the catcher. And Walter Masterson of the Washington Senators will be the pitcher. Masterson has won six ball games and lost six. Ralph Branca has won ten and lost six. The umpires, Charlie Barry of the American League, will be working behind the plate. Bill Stewart of the National League at first base. Paparella of the American League at second base. And Beans Reardon of the National League at third. Now, these men will alternate. That is, Barry and Reardon will alternate from after four and one-half innings. Barry will go down to third, and Reardon will come into the plate, the way we've been informed. And the second, same thing applies to the two umpires working at first and second, Paparella and Stewart. And now, doing the first four and a half innings of the play-by-play this afternoon, a man who hardly needs any introduction, you baseball fans. Up around Boston, he does the home games of both the Boston Braves and the Boston Red Sox. I believe this is his fourth All-Star game. You've also heard him on World Series play. None other than Jim Britt. Come in, Jim. Thank you, friends. Good afternoon, everyone. In just a moment, I suspect we shall have the national anthem, and then the baseball festivities will get really underway. But before that, I would like even before he comes in for the last four and a half innings of the play-by-play description of this Gillette-sponsored 1948 All-Star Major League Baseball game to present, again, my colleague Mel Allen, whose broadcasts of the New York Yankee games during the regular season are so popular throughout the metropolis. Mel? Hello there, everybody. Jim, it's real swell to be working with you again. And incidentally, we're getting ready to get underway, and I don't want to take up any more time than necessary. We'll be back a little bit later on for the last half of the game, but... It is interesting to let you fans know that Commissioner Chandler made the statement. He said, even though it isn't very likely, he said, in the event the ball game is tied up and it becomes dark, he said, we're going to turn on the lights and keep playing until the ball game has reached the conclusion. So if you folks uh, got any plans uh, ahead for the evening, I I suggest you kind of hold them in abeyance because you never can tell. We'll have to play till midnight. Okay, Jim. Well, come Miss Planes or Miss Trains, this ball game is going to go to a conclusion. But now, before it gets underway, we pause for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Ladies and gentlemen, the National Anthem.
Before Richie Ashburn, the sensational young Philadelphia Phil center fielder, steps into the batter's box to await the first pitch of bespectacled Walter Masterson of the Washington Nationals, let me repeat for you the starting batting order. For the National League, Ashburn of Philadelphia, center field. Shane Dean of the Cardinals, second base. Musio of the Cardinals, left field. Mize of the Giants, first base. Slaughter of St. Louis in right field. Pafko of the Cubs, third base. There goes Bert Schotten's first pitch, and it is taken by Buddy Roser. And Buddy then flips it back to Bert Schotten, who piloted the Brooklyn Dodgers to their 1948-1947 National League Championship. And Commissioner A.B. Chandler autographs the ball and insists that Bert keep it. In the National League, after Enos Slaughter, who will play right field and bat in the number five position, if you're scoring the game, mark down the name of third baseman Andy Pasco of the Chicago Cubs. In the number seven position, catcher Walker Cooper of New York. At shortstop, Pee Wee Reese of Brooklyn. And the starting pitcher, Ralph Branca of Brooklyn, number 13. He flaunts superstition with it and has a record of 10 victories, six defeats for the bums of Ebbets Field. The bums, of course, is a term of affection and endearment bestowed upon the Brooklyn Dodgers by one of the most rabid sets of baseball enthusiasts in the nation. Defensively, Pat Mullen will be in right field for the American Leaguers. Poot Evers of Detroit, his teammate, will be in center field. Tommy Henrick of the Yankees in left field. And the infield will be McQuinn of New York, Gordon of Cleveland, manager Lou Boudreau of Cleveland, Keltner at third, and the battery Masterson and Rosar. Ashburn, a blonde left-hander, is up. And the first pitch is a ground ball that goes into the glove of Gordon. Gordon throws the first, can't get him. A magnificent play by Gordon, who went back to first base, made a cross-handed stab, left high off the ground, and he fired it. He went back of second base, fired to first base, but the throw was so high that McQuinn was taken off the bag, and the official scorer rules base hit. Red Shane Dean. Formerly of Germantown, Illinois, now a St. Louis and is up. He's a switch batter, batting left. Foul ball, right back, strike one. Masterson tried to powder over a fastball. This is Ashburn's first all-star game. He entered it with a batting average of 351. He is the second highest batter in the National League, and of course that is his first all-star hit. One of many to come, I'm certain. Shane Dean stands straight away. Ashburn leads off. There he digs for second base. Here's a throw from Roser to Boudreaux. And it goes over second base, backed up by Gordon, and it's a steal for Ashburn. The count is ball one, strike one. And it is a stolen base for Richie Ashburn. In the National League, he just gives opposing pitchers fits. So now, third baseman Ken Keltner is laying in just a bit in the event of a bunch. Mel Ott, the manager of the New York Giants, is the first base coach. He came up under the great John McGraw. Eddie Dyer, the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, is coaching at third. Charlie Berry, the plate umpire. Ashburn is on second base, taking a good lead. The pitch to Shane Dean. There's a ground ball that goes down the third baseline. An unassisted putout. The first baseline, an unassisted putout is made by George McQuinn, and Ashburn moves up. Ashburn is on third with just one out. And one of the great St. Louis Cardinals stars, 
of St. Louis baseball history, Stanley Musial comes up with a current season's average of 403. His all-star average is down to 182. This is his fifth all-star game. And the outfield moves around to the right. The infield pulls in to try to cut off the run. Masterson pitches. Strike call. Fastball. That just bit the inside corner of the plate. The temperature is somewhere in the upper 80s. The humidity is high. But it's the kind of a baseball day the players profess to prefer. Here it comes. Foul ball. That one caromed off the left shin guard of Buddy Roser into the first base stand. And the count is strike two. Big Johnny Mize, who is the veteran of the National League All-Stars, playing in his eighth game today, is near the on-deck circle. Ashburn takes a conservative lead off third base. The deepest of the infielders is second baseman Joe Gordon, who's playing about 20 feet to the right of second base. Masterson pitches. There goes a long drive to right center field, and that looks like a home run. It is. Stanley Musial just walloped an enormous home run atop the right center field stand. And all the center fielder Hoot Evers could do was watch as Ashburn scored ahead of him from third and the National Leaguers lead 2-0. Here's big Johnny Mize with a season's average of 283. Inside, ball one. The National League has drawn first blood. Victor in only four of the previous 14 All-Star games. Leo DeRocher's crew has struck swiftly in the first inning. The pitch, strike, call. A slow curveball. That's coasted over, belt high. The ball was atop the right center field stands just to the left of the 354-foot mark. Musial's drive. There's a fastball low. Two and one. Bucky Harris plans to follow Walter Masterson with Vic Rashi of the Yankees and Joe Coleman of the A's. There is no warm-up pitcher. The outfield is deep to the right, so is the infield. There's a ground ball, and that one goes right by Gordon in the center field for another base hit. It was between Gordon and second base, and Mize has the third National League hit. That will enhance his batting average in the All-Star game, which had been only 176. The enthusiastic welcome was for one of the great players of National League history, Enos Slaughter of the St. Louis Cardinals. He's playing right field in this batting order and has a batting average for the season of 314, an all-star game average of 250, and this is his fifth appearance in all-star spangles. The outfield a little to the right of straightaway, the left side of the infield in, and there is a curveball right over the outside corner to a left-handed batter for strike one. Country slaughter, as he's better known, and his throw will forever be remembered to cut off a Red Sox run in the World Series of 1946, as will his mad dash from first to score on Walker's single. Ball, one and one. Slaughter was one of the heroes of that 1946 World Series, as was Harry the Cat Brookine, who won three ball games. Masterson stretches. Mize leads off. 
There's one in the dirt. It gets by Roser. Mize goes to second base. And we're awaiting the decision of the official scorer. Wild pitch or pass ball? A pass ball is the ruling. So Roser is charged with a battery error. And for the third time, the National Leaguers have a runner on second base. Now the left side of the infield goes back just a little. The right side with Joe Gordon, the second baseman, deep. Waits for the pitch. Slaughter digs in. And it's low and outside to make it three and one. And there, hustling out to the bullpen, is Yogi Berra. He may be sent out to warm up Joe Dobson of the Boston Red Sox. Berra just carried the message. John Scholey is doing the warming up. The official scorer just changed that pass ball to a wild pitch. So it is a battery error charged to Masterson, not to Roser. Three and one. Ball four. That was a little too high. It seemed to catch the corner, but it was up around the neck. A base on ball for Slaughter. Masterson has runners on first and second with one out. And Andy Pasco, the Chicago Cubs third baseman up, with an impressive 342 batting average. This is his second All-Star game. In the first one, he had one hit and two trips. He's a right-hander. Dan Musial's first All-Star game home run gave the National Leaguers a 2-0 lead in the first inning. Now there are two on with one out. The pitch to Pasco. There's a ground ball. That goes to Keltner. He steps on third, flips to first, and the throw is not in time as it hits the dirt, bounds into McQuinn's glove. So it is a force play on Johnny Mize at third base. Keltner unassisted with Slaughter moving to second base on the fielder's choice and Pasco reaching first. A good throw by Keltner would have retired the side, but the ball bounded in the dirt about 10 or 15 feet in front of McQuinn. Walker Cooper of the New York Giants, the catcher and the number seven batter for the National Leaguers in the first inning, comes up. He has a season's average of 257, but an impressive 385 all-star mark. This is his sixth all-star game. He's a big Husky right-hander. Outside, ball one. You'll be interested to know that his brother Morton pitched an exhibition game for the New York Giants last night against Buffalo, allowed two hits and only one run in four innings, and the Giants won the ball game eight to three. Masterson pitches. There's a ground ball. It goes to Keltner. Keltner elects to make the play to second base to Gordon, and Pasco is forced going in five to four. So it's another fielder's choice to wind up the first inning with two National League runs on three hits, no errors, a base on balls, two runners left, National League two, American League nothing. Baseball has yet to produce a more forceful figure than the late John McGraw, who was supreme in his field for over two generations. When leadership endures years on end, you may be sure it's based on exceptional merit. Take the Gillette Blue Blade, for example. It continues to be number one in popularity, because it's number one in shaving performance. No other razor blade is as sharp, smoothly finished, or long-lasting. Now, to enjoy extra convenience at no extra cost, buy Gillette Blue Blades in the modern Gillette dispenser, which deals them out one at a time, unwrapped, ready for any Gillette razor. The dispenser holds 20 blades, 40 superlative shaving edges. You pay only 98 cents, price of the blades alone. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. 
Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. The score is National League All-Stars 2, American League All-Stars nothing. Going into the last half of the first inning, Pat Mullen, the Detroit Tigers, who is playing left field in this batting, right field in this batting order, will face Ralph Branca, a 10-game winner for Brooklyn. Thanks to Ashburn's single, stolen base, an infield out, and Musial's first all-star game home run, the National Leaguers lead 2-0. Branca gets set. Mullen's batting average for the year is 297. Outside, ball one. This is his first all-star game, by the way. The coaches are Charlie Dressen and Red Corridan of New York. Dressen at third base, Corridan at first base. Branca pitches. Swing and a miss. Branca fired a fastball. It was belt high. At third base for the National League, Andy Pasco, shortstop Pee Wee Reese. Second base, Red Shane Deans. He injured himself, slid a few times before today's game, indicated his readiness to play. And the first baseman is Big John Mize. The outfield, Musial, Ashburn, and Slaughter. The pitch. High outside, a fastball. Two and one. Every seat is sold out here at Portman Park. And the weatherman has been good enough to cooperate to the extent of giving extremely hot weather, but rainless. Here it comes. Foul ball. Almost in the booth to our left. And then it rattled right down into the first base stand. The count, two balls, two strikes. This is old home week, so to speak, for baseball. You come to an all-star game, as is the case with the World Series, and you see baseball characters whom you admired when you were a kid, who have drifted away from the game, many of them. Many of them are still with it. The pitch, there's a foul ball, and it bounds back down again. Two balls and two strikes. Joe Cronin, who long since hung up his number four with the Boston Red Sox, had a chance to catch another one then. Two and two the count. Third baseman Pasco is playing close. Strike three, swinging. A fast curveball was thrown by Ralph Branca, and he strikes out Pat Mullen to open the ball game. The second batter is one of baseball's most underrated performers in the opinion of many baseball experts. Tommy Henrick of Massillon, Ohio, on the New York Yankees. This is his third All-Star game. His All-Star batting average is 200. His season's mark, 250. He's a left-hander, uses a slightly closed stance, and he looks at a ball that comes in low. One ball, no strikes. Branca, a big husky right-hander who has had a lot to do with the sudden surge of the DeRocher Dodgers recently. Swing and a miss. An easy swing at a fastball. It was difficult to determine whether Henrik tried to stop his swing or was intent upon swinging easily in order to loft the ball over the heads of the infielders. The outfield plays him to the right. One and one the count. The National League leads 2-0. Last of the first. None on. One out. High and wide. Two and one. It's 310 feet down the right field foul line to the stands, 351 down the left field line, and 423 to the flagpole in dead center field. Branca pitches. High. Three and one. 
Waiting his turn in the on-deck circle is the great manager of the Cleveland Indians. Three balls, one strike to count. Red Corridan, who is coaching down at first base, is anxious to have a base runner, so he'll have someone to chat with. The windup. Strike call. Branca threw a moderate fastball that caught the outside corner. Henrik's rear foot is almost outside the batter's box. His heel touches, his toe is out. The payoff pitch coming up. Branca studies the sign of his catcher. Here it is. Strike three. He's called out on strike. But Henrik was under the impression that he had not completed the swing, and Lou Boudreau is arguing with Charlie Berry. Henrik was about a third of the way down the first base line when he was called out. There's the second straight strikeout for Branca. Mullen and Henrik. Here's Lou Boudreau with a batting average of 355. He has an all-star batting average of 400, by the way, and has appeared in five games. He hit a two-run homer in the all-star game at the Polo Grounds in 1942 to help send Mort Cooper down to defeat. And he hit it his first time up. He bats from that peculiar crouch of his, a right-hander. He let the curveball go by on the inside. He wasn't even set to swing that trip. One ball, no strikes. He is the only manager in either batting order. The pitch. Strike call. That fast curveball of Branca's came over knee high. One and one. There will be an umpiring switch at the end of four and a half innings. So that the umpiring is broken up. And each league has a man back of the plate. There's a ground ball that goes to the left of the mound. Reese comes in fast, picks it up, throws over to first. Mize gets it. And it's a one-two-three inning for Ralph Branca. That play went six to three. Reese to Mize. No runs, no hits, no errors. None left. And Leo DeRocher's own right-handed star, Ralph Branca, with a record of ten and six, is off to a most impressive start. In the first half of the second inning of this game, Pee Wee Reese, Ralph Branca, and Richie Ashburn will be the first three batters. At the moment, however, there is time in the event you just joined this Gillette broadcast to bring you up to date on the batting orders. For the National League, center field, Ashburn, Philadelphia. Second base, Shane Deans, St. Louis. Left field, Musial, St. Louis. First base, Mize, New York. Right field, Slaughter, St. Louis. Third base, Pasco, Cubs. Catcher, Walker Cooper, New York. Shortstop, Reese, Brooklyn. Pitching, Branca of Brooklyn. Charlie Dressen, by the way, went out to the bullpen to deliver some information to Joe Dobson. And Dobson has started to warm up again. First up, facing Walter Masterson, is Pee Wee Reese. He fouls one back against the screen. The Kentucky Colonel, as he's better known, Pee Wee, another nickname, a little right-hander, former national marble champion. Swung at that first one as though he expected to have luck similar to that of Richie Ashburn and Stanley Musial. He has a season's mark of 300, no hits in two all-star trips. Outside, one and one. This is Pee Wee's third all-star game. 
and he sat through one of them in 1946 at Boston with his neck in a harness after it was suspected that he had fractured a vertebrae. Masterson throws. Swing and a miss. He took a good cut, went down to his right knee. Eddie Dyer and Mel Ott are the coaches at third and first. It's a shirt sleeve crowd here at Sportsman's Park in the 15th All-Star Game. The game skipped 1945 because of wartime travel emergencies. Here it comes. High inside. Two and two. Not much wind blowing. It isn't a factor. Eddie Dyer is doing a little rooting down in the third base coach's box as Masterson winds up. Delivers. Strike three. Swinging. Pee Wee Reese becomes the first National League strikeout victim. And Big Ralph Branca starts the trek from the National League All-Star dugout on the right side or first base side of the diamond. Out to the plate, and he takes the bat, handed him by Richie Ashburn. And the big lad is given a good round of applause. He swings as he throws, right-handed. The National Leaguers have a 2-0 lead on the strength of Stanley Musial's two-run first-inning home run. Here it is. There's a slow roller down the third base line. Keltner comes up with it. And he guns the throw to first base, and it is taken for the out. Keltner flips it over to McQuinn for a 5-3 out, third to first. And with two men out in the first half of the second inning, Richie Ashburn comes up. In games in which the Philadelphia Phils have played, I have clocked Ashburn in 3.4 seconds going down that first base line many a time. And Ben Chapman is willing to put him up against any other base runner in either league. He's a co-headed youngster who can run like the wind, a left-hander. He beat out a hit to Gordon his first time. There's the bunt, but it's fouled back. He's perfectly willing to pit his speed against that of any third baseman, shortstop, second baseman, or first sacker in the business when it comes to pushing or dragging bunts. He already owns the game's first stolen base and has had an impressive all-star game debut. Masterson pitches. There goes a high pop-up to deep shortstop, but the left fielder, Henrik, comes in, and he takes it. Lou Boudreau couldn't have reached it. And it's a pop-up to left field. No runs. No hits. No errors. None left. The score is National League All-Stars 2. American League All-Stars nothing. As plenty of you know, the greatest pitching exhibition of all time took place in 1905. That was the year of the all-shutout World Series. Believe me, the customers got their money's worth and then some. Yes, and so will you when you ask for the improved Gillette Super Speed Razor, the greatest shaving value ever offered. With this razor, you change blades instantly. Twist, it opens. Zip, it's loaded. Twist again, and you're ready to shave. To clean, simply loosen the handle, rinse, and shake. Make no mistake, this is a precision instrument, not a gadget. There's nothing to fit together, nothing to jam or clog. You save time, save fuss, and enjoy the swellest shaves ever. Ask for the improved Gillette Super Speed Razor with 10-blade Gillette Dispenser. It's a big $1.50 value for only a dollar. Now we pause for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
Going into the last half of the second inning with second baseman Joe Gordon, the cleanup batter, leading off for the American League, the National League All-Stars lead 2-0. Gordon is a right-handed batter with a 260 seasons average, appearing in his seventh All-Star game. The outfield plays him to the left. Franca has two strikeouts so far and has faced only three batters. There goes a high fly ball towards left center field. Musial is over calling for it. And he takes it about 315 or 20 feet out. Gordon flies to left to open the second inning. Boot Evers of the Detroit Tigers, the center fielder up. He's playing the position that the fans wanted to see filled by the great Joe DiMaggio of the New York Yankees. But DiMaggio is injured to the extent that he will see limited service, if any. Evers has a season's average of 329, and this is his first all-star game. He's a right-hander. A fastball inside, ball one. There are six National League teams represented in this batting order at the moment. This defensive lineup. There's a drive down the left field line. Musial goes back, but he can't get it. And it is a home run. Two Beavers, homers to make it 2-1 National Leaguers. The records don't indicate whether any other American leaguer ever hit a home run his first time up. In an all-star game, we're checking to determine whether or not the information is available, but Evers broke in with a bang. And it is 2-1 National Leaguers with one out in the second inning and Ken Keltner, another right-hander up. This is his seventh all-star game. Ball one, high inside. Keltner is one of the big reasons why the Cleveland Indians are in first place in the American League currently. His all-star game average is 214. The pitch, high for ball two, two and nothing. Branca and Cooper, a Dodger and a Giant. Two balls and no strikes. That drive was just to the left of the 358 mark. There's a foul ball that's drifting into the first base stands, and the count is two and one. Two and one the count. High, three and one. Three balls, one strike. This is the sort of a baseball game where no one will be required to go the distance. The two managers will try to give as many of the fans' representatives an opportunity to play as they can. Here's the pitch. There's ball four. Fastball inside and low. And Branca now is in a situation with another base runner. The first one, of course, went all the way around. Hoot Evers. George McQuinn, the veteran New York Yankee first stacker, comes up. His all-star game batting average is only 125. This is his third appearance. But his batting average for the Yankees this year is 268. He stands straight up in the batter's box with a closed stance, feet close together. The third baseman plays him in. Swing and a miss. He took a left-handed cut at a fast curve ball. At first base, Johnny Mize is holding the runner, Ken Keltner, very closely. 
Johnny Sane of the Boston Braves is warming up for the National Leaguers. A right-hander with 11 wins. Keltner leads off just a little. Here's the pitch. And there's a high fly ball going to center field. Ashburn has his eye on it all the way as he comes in to take it. There is the second out. McQuinn flies straight away to center field to Ashburn. Keltner returns to first base. And Buddy Roser comes up. Buddy is Mr. Connie Max catcher and is one of the mainstays of the phenomenal athletics who, with one of the finest pitching staffs in either league, are knocking at Cleveland's door. Pafco came over to exchange a word of encouragement with the pitcher, Ralph Branca. This is Roser's third All-Star game. He has a season's average of 216, an All-Star record of 166. Low in the dirt, ball one. The possibility of a pinch hitter for Masterson suggests itself should Roser get aboard. Dobson is still warming up, and so is Johnny Sane for the National Leaguers. There's a throw to first, but Keltner danced back. Mize made no tag. The score is National League 2, American League 1. Branca delivers, and there goes a fly ball toward right field. Slaughter moves over toward the line. He takes it. And Rosers, fly to right field, retires the side in the last half of the second inning. One run, Evers' home run. No errors, just the one hit, a base on balls, and one runner left on base. So, at the end of two innings, the National Leaguers still lead by the narrowest possible margin, two to one. First three men up in the third inning for the National Leaguers will be Red Shandine, Stan Musial, and Johnny Mize. Mel, did you suspect that it was going to be the National League that would unleash its power so quickly to take a lead, as has been the case? Well, in an all-star game, when you get so many glittering performers together, you never never can tell what's going to happen. And in this instance, and this is not any sort of an alibi, because uh, in our position we see all teams, it doesn't make a great deal of difference. Uh, it's the outcome of the game. But the American League power pitchers are not in action. Walter Matheson is one of the best. He worked Saturday, however, and was knocked out of the box after several innings and perhaps wasn't in uh, the best of uh, shape for the game. Maybe didn't warm up enough, as you indicated. But incidentally, Jim, I just ran upstairs to the press box to check, and they're working further. Hoot Evers, who is Joe DiMaggio's substitute in this game, hit as many home runs at one time as that as DiMaggio had hit an eight... Uh, previous all-star games, but it may not be the first time that a first man ever hit a home run the first time up. Max West did it in 39. Here is Red Shandings leading off in the third, and he fouls that first one away for strike one. Well, one thing's certain, Hootievers' debut in an all-star game uniform will go down in the record books as one of the more memorable. Shandings grounded out to first baseman George McQuinn his first time up. Masterson winds up, fires it, and that's a curveball. Outside, one and one. And now Vic Rashi is warming up for the American Leaguers. Dobson was to have been used in the event Masterson got into trouble, apparently. Walter pitches, and there's a high pop-up to the right side. A foul ball being chased by McQuinn. He goes through the coach's box, 
and he makes the catch directly in front of the National League dugout. Shane Dean fouls out the first baseman, George McQuinn. One out in the third inning for the National Leaguers, who lead 2-1. to one. And the applause is, as you might suspect, for Stanley Musial of Denora, Pennsylvania. One of the most popular baseball players ever to come down the Major League Pike. His season's batting average of 403 is the only Major League mark at the moment above 400. Masterson lost control of the ball. He held it, slipped off the rubber, I believe, didn't seem to have injured himself, and never did deliver the pitch. If you were looking for a perfect balk, that would have been it had there been runners on. Now he throws. Outside, ball one. That was an oddity, but as far as the play of the game is concerned, it meant nothing, except that the crowd seemed to be delighted by it. Here it comes. There goes the drive to center field. It's sinking fast. The bat is broken, and it's in there for a base hit. That bat broke completely in half. He held the handle going down the first base line, and the rest of the bat flew out into the infield halfway between first base and the pitcher's mound for Musial's second hit and the fourth National League hit of the ball game. A single to center for Stan. He's on first, and big Johnny Mize comes up. Mize single to center his last time. Here's the pitch. Strike called, a fastball. My single through the middle his first time. That was Musial's fourth hit in 13 trips to the plate in an all-star capacity. But this is the first game in which he has really started off impressively. Masterson pitches. There's a ground ball. That one goes over to Joe Gordon. Gordon to Boudreaux. Boudreaux fumbles the ball. And he is out at second base. He picked the ball up just in time to get Stanley Musial at second. But, of course... The double play opportunity went by the boards, and very nearly both runners were safe. It was a high-bouncing ground ball, a very slow one to the right of second base, and in the interest of the double play, Gordon decided to flip the ball over to Boudreaux. Had a force play been required, he obviously would have made the play himself. So the force out on Musial at second base is 4-6. to six. Gordon to Boudreaux. Lou dropped the ball on the left field side of second, but picked it up just before Musial came sliding in. That chops Johnny Mize down to one hit in two trips, gives him first base by virtue of the fielder's choice as Enos Slaughter comes up. He hasn't officially been at bat because he walked his first time. Masterson stepped off the mound, off the rubber, just as the plate umpire Charlie Berry called time. The outfield is deep to the right. Boudreaux is playing just 12 or 15 feet to the left of second base. Swing and a miss. Strike one. You may recall last year in the All-Star game at Wrigley Field that one of the great plays of the contest was a position play by Lou Boudreau at the expense of Slaughter. Left-handed Johnny Schmitz of the Cubs is warming up for the National Leaguers. A curveball outside, one and one. It was indicated to me prior to the game by Eddie Dyer that Schmitz might be the second starter, the second pitcher, but he at that time wasn't certain. Masterson throws one, a fastball way outside, and the count is two and one. The score, National League All-Stars two, American League All-Stars one. But it's in the early stages of a game that must go at least nine innings. The weather looks good. Little prospect of rain. Here's the pitch. 
There's a ground ball that goes slowly down the third base line, and it is going to be an infield hit. Keltner had to let the ball roll. It rolled 90 feet right next to the bag. Mize went to second and was long since there, and Slaughter raced over first base down the right field line with a lazy little infield roller. Runners on first and second, and that is hit number five off the delivery of Walter Masterson. Keltner had no alternative because he never could hope to catch Slaughter at first. Dobson runs back out to the bullpen as Pasco steps in. He grounded into a fourth out his last time. He's a right-hander. Inside, ball one. Last time at bat with Slaughter on second base. Pasco forced Mize at third. Mize on second base, rather, and Slaughter on first. Here's the pitch. Outside, and it's two and nothing. Rashi continues to warm up. Dobson did not go out there for the purpose of replacing him. He had made a trip to the dugout and took a turkey's towel back out, which is a very useful implement on a day like this. Schmitz, a left-hander, still warming up for the National Leaguers. Masterson throws. There's a ground ball that goes to Gordon. Gordon flips to Boudreaux, and the fourth on Slaughter winds up the inning. That one went four to six. And in the third inning, no runs, two more National League hits, no errors, two runners left. The score is National League All-Stars 2, American League All-Stars 1. During his career with the Washington Senators, Walter Johnson pitched seven opening day shutouts, a record no other pitcher has ever come close to matching. Unequal performance also explains the worldwide popularity of today's Gillette Blue Blade. No other blade on earth is as easy shaving or long-lasting. Now, folks, for extra convenience at no extra cost, buy Gillette Blue Blades in the handy Gillette dispenser. This puts 20 blades, 40 shaving edges right at your fingertips. There's an unwrapped blade for any Gillette razor. These blades reach you factory sharp and stay that way until used. You pay only 98 cents, the regular price of 20 blades. Look sharp... Feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. The statistician in the press box has completed his checking and has found that Hoot Evers is the first American League All-Star ever to hit a home run his first time up. It was done previously by Max West of the National League All-Stars. Evers became the first American leaguer to hit a home run his first time up in his first All-Star game, but Max West did it on the National League side. Going into the last half of the third inning with the National Leaguers leading 2-1, to one, Mickey Vernon will bat for his teammate, Walter Masterson. Mickey is a left-handed batter, and the first pitch by Branca is right over for a called strike. Vernon has a batting average for the season of 260. This is his second All-Star game. Outside, one and one. Vernon has two previous at-bats in All-Star competition without a hit. Branca starts his wind-up, throws, and it's a half swing, but Mickey checked it and took one low, two and one. Musial's two-run homer accounts for both National League runs 
and Evers' home run for the lone American League tally. There's a foul ball off to the left. The count now is even up, two and two. Meantime, Johnny Schmitz, Chicago Cubs southpaws, bearing down in a warm-up capacity for the National Leaguers. This will doubtless be Ralph Branca's last inning on the mound, and Vic Rashi will replace Walter Masterson come the start of the fourth. Vernon waits. Outside, three and two. And the count has been run out again. Tebbets may be the new catcher because Yogi Berra just took over from Birdie and took Rashi's last few pitches. There's ball four. Mickey Vernon gets aboard. A base on balls to Mickey puts him on first base in lieu of his teammate Walter Masterson. And Pat Mullen of Detroit comes into the batter's box. Pat struck out as the leadoff batter for the American League. Tommy Henry comes out into the on-deck circle. The American Leaguers have a tying run on first base in the last half of the third inning. Third baseman Pasco in close. High ball one. The National Leaguers are probably not certain of the tactics that will be used by Bucky Harris, but third baseman Pasco is playing close in the event of a bunch. There's a stretch. Ball two outside. It looked that time as though Mullen was just about to swing on it. Two and nothing. It's a good ball game, a two-to-one game. Last year, the American Leaguers won a close one. A game in which Johnny Mize homered. All three runs today have been the result of round trippers. Ball three. Fastball high. And Branca says, new ball, please. Charlie Berry is quick to reply, and he gives Walker Cooper a new one. Sometimes there's a little roughness on a ball that a pitcher doesn't like, or a smooth spot. Or maybe it's strictly psychological. He just gets it into his mind that it's the baseball and not a temporary lack of control that is troubling us. And umpires are nearly always willing to oblige. In all cases, save where stalling seems to be a factor. Charlie Dressen is hollering over to first base where Mickey Vernon is ready to go. The pitch. Ball four. Consecutive bases on balls to pinch hitter Mickey Vernon and leadoff batter Pat Mullen. That is the third base on ball given up by Ralph Branca. Runners on first and second, Tommy Henrik up. And now from the position of the National League infield, they believe that the stage is about to be set for a sacrifice because Mize and Pasco are close with Henrik up. Henrik bluffs the bunch, and there's a throw to second base. It bounds away from Pee Wee Reese. There's no advance on the part of either base runner, and Pee-wee is looking at a finger on his right hand as though it dented it just a little. His thumb, but it's, it's trivial. He just looked at it, flicked it, and went back to his position. Franca has his back turned to the batter and seems to be working with his glove. He is soaking wet. It's a muggy day, excessively warm. 
Pasco is sneaking in toward the plate a little. Inside, ball two, two and nothing. Johnny Sane is warming up again. A moment ago, it was Johnny Schmitz, the southpaw. But either Leo Durocher has changed his mind or he believes Sane is going to be a better fireman. He probably has earmarked Sane for a relief roll. Strike called, a fastball over the inside corner. This is the first inning in which Branca has found himself in anything approaching serious trouble. He's pitching behind a two-to-one lead. And his previous only bad pitch was a home run ball by Evers. Strike called. That caught the outside corner. And the count is two and two. Two balls, two strikes. His first time up, Tommy Henrik went down on strikes. He protested. So did Lou Boudreau, but the decision stood. Here it comes. Ball three. He started a swing, checked it just in time, and the pitch broke into the dirt. And now the payoff pitch comes up with Mickey Vernon on second base, Pat Mullen on first base. Both of them fast on the bases. Chuck Dressen hollers something at Mickey Vernon. Red Corridan is coaching Pat Mullen. Here's the big one. Strike. A throw to third base is not in time. And it's a double steal. Henrik Kwong missed, struck out to become Branca's third strikeout victim. But when the throw from Walker Cooper to third base was a poor throw and pulled Pasco over into foul territory, Mickey Vernon was able to slide in safely with a stolen base, and it is scored a double steal. Two stolen bases simultaneously gives the American Leaguers an opportunity to go ahead in the event of a good solid base hit. On the other hand, a perfect throw there would have made a double play. Lou Boudreau up. He grounded out to shortstop Pee Wee Reese the last time. The possibility of a double play now is remote. Walker Cooper must be given an orchid because he is playing in the All-Star game at the wish of the fans with a very sore knee. He is not at his physical best. There goes a drive to right field. It will mean a run. Slaughter makes the catch. And here comes the tying run to the plate. And the throw is not in time. It was thrown from deep right field. The other runner... Pat Mullen held second base, and it is 2-2 as Boudreau flies deep enough to slaughter in right field to allow Mickey Verner to come home. Not even a throwing arm like that of Ina Slaughter was powerful enough to gun the ball in from his position, which was about 335 feet out in right field. That's the third run driven in for Lou Boudreau, and he has been in five all-star games. Joe Gordon up. He teams with Lou to defend Cleveland's middle base, the Keystone Sacks, and they're one of the great combinations of all time. Gordon, his first time up, slide to left. The pitch. There's a ground ball. This one goes to Pee Wee Reese. Reese throws across the diamond to Mize, and Gordon is out. Six to three. Reese to Mize. One run. No hits. No errors. Two bases on balls. Two stolen bases 
and one runner left. At the end of three innings of play, the American League, two runs, one hit, two runners left. The National League, two runs, five hits, four runners left. Now we pause for station identification. This is the world's largest network, the Mutual Broadcasting System. broadcast crew are deeply indebted to the great hospitality of Sid, Sid Keener, the veteran sports editor of the St. Louis Star Times, for the excellence of his cooperation and the thoroughness of his assignment of facilities for both the AM broadcast and the television coverage of this event. And incidentally, since the last time you and I were here, Mel Allen, for a game such as this, Sportsman's Park has had its face lifted and has been rebuilt to the point where now it takes its place among the finest baseball parks in the land. Don't you agree? I'm with you 100% there, Jim, and the people here in St. Louis, both the Cardinal and Brown representatives, do all they can for the visiting firemen. It's deeply appreciated. We're going to have some changes in the American League roster. Vic Rashi is now doing the pitching for the American Leaguers. And Bertie Tebbets has gone in to do the catching. The first man up will be Walker Cooper of the New York Giants. Rashi's record is 10 and 3. He's a right-hander, and his first pitch is a curveball that breaks inside to a right-hand batter. Rashi is from Conesus, New York, 190 pounds, 6 feet 1, 28 years old. A big husky right-hander. Low outside. Ball two, two and nothing. Cooper, his first time up, forced Pasco with a ground ball to third baseman Ken Keltner. The new battery, Rashi of New York, Tebbets of Boston. Here it comes. There's a foul tip right into Birdie's glove, and the count is two and one. Tebbets is a native of Nashua, New Hampshire, and a graduate of Providence College. Eddie Dyer continues to coach at third base. His son was working out, by the way, just before the ball game. Eddie Jr. Swing and a miss. Cooper went all the way down in the batter's box as he took a savage cut at a rashy fastball. 2-2. For the while, at least, this will be Rashi's ball game since it's a tie score. There's a ground ball that goes to Keltner. He takes it down on a big hop, guns it across to McQuinn for the out. Walker Cooper goes out. Keltner to McQuinn. Third to first. Pee Wee Reese is waiting to bat. His first time up, he struck out. This is his third All-Star game. Reese is one of the most likable characters in baseball. He's from Louisville, Kentucky. He was born in Ekron, Kentucky. Strike call. That was a fastball right down the middle. One man out on the top of the fourth. The National and American Leaguers tied 2-2. Brashy delivers. There's a ground ball that goes to Keltner, and he takes a vicious grounder. Throws to first for the out. McQuinn came up with a nice stop on a low throw. That was one of the harder hit balls of the game. But Reese goes out. Keltner to McQuinn. Two men are out, 
And we now have a pinch hitter, Frank Gustine of Pittsburgh. He has a batting average of 303 for the year. He's from Hoopstown, Illinois originally, but is a Pittsburgher now. Rashi's first pitch is low and away, ball one. This is Gustine's third All-Star game. He hasn't had a hit in three times at bat, but he has a season's average of 303. Rashi winds up. Low. Ball two, two and nothing. Justine is one of the reasons why the Pittsburgh Pirates will continue to be a pennant contender this year. The pitch. Strike call. Curveball. Two and one. Currently, Pittsburgh is in second place. Five and a half games back of the Boston Braves. The outfield plays Gustine deep and slightly to the left. The infield straight away. He uses an open stance. Swing and a miss. Two and two. Rashi is a strong, powerful right-hander with a good fastball, good curve, and a very conscientious workman. Justine gets set for the 2-2 pitch. Strike three. Down in the dirt. Tebbett throws to first base, and McQuinn gets the put out on the play. It's a strikeout, but he had to be thrown out. Two to three, Tebbett's to McQuinn. So Rashi's first inning is a one-two-three affair. At the end of three and a half innings, the score is National League All-Stars 2, American League All-Stars 2. In baseball slang, as you know, a fast pitch that grazes a batter's whiskers is commonly called a Gillette. Do you know, however, that fast-acting Gillette shaving creams now contain K-34, an amazing facial antiseptic? K-34 does what no amount of scrubbing with ordinary soap and water can do. It destroys from 85 to 99% of dangerous bacteria on and beneath outer layers of the skin. What's more, the bacteria count stays down. The protection lasts from one day's shave until the next. This means that simply by softening your whiskers with Gillette Brushless or Gillette Lather and enjoying a smooth, refreshing shave, you end up with the cleanest face a man can have. Not just clean-looking and clean-feeling, but surgically clean. Enjoy this valuable protection. Ask for Gillette Brushless or Gillette Lather a quarter. The new pitcher for the National Leaguers is going to be left-handed Johnny Schmitz of the Chicago Cubs. And his record is 8-9. and nine. He will face Hoot Evers, who homered his first time up. Strike call. It's a 2-2 ball game. And just as it is Rashi's to win or lose, for the while at least, so it is Johnny Schmitz's. The pitch. Inside, one and one. Vern Stevens, who ranked behind Lou Boudreau in the balloting for American League shortstop, is warming up out in the bullpen. And Bobby Dorr, his second base teammate, is warming up with him. There goes a high fly ball towards left center field. Ashburn coming in. Reese going back. Reese waves everybody away, and he got it at the last instant. 
but there were a few oohs and ahs before it became certain that he would make the catch. Reese went out about 75 feet from his normal deep shortstop position. So Evers popped to six. One out. Ken Keltner up. His first time up, Keltner walked. He has one of three bases on balls that were issued by starting pitcher Ralph Branca. A right-hander. Here's the windup. Schmidt pitches. There's a ground ball that goes down the third base line, labeled perhaps for extra bases. Musio feels it quickly. Keltner rounds and has to hold on with a single. A swell throw from Musio to Shane Dean. Holds that hit to one base. That's the second American League hit. And with any less quick fielding on the part of Stanley Musial, it would have been an easy double. George McQuinna, he flied to center. That's the fourth all-star game hit for Keltner, playing in his seventh. McQuinna's a left-hander. Schmidt steps back off the rubber, and that's the signal for Keltner to go back to first. That gives Ken one hit and one trip. He walked his first time up. It's a 2-2 game in the fourth inning. Fastball low. Ball one. The game is nearing the halfway mark, at which time there will be the customary change of umpires. One ball, no strikes. Outside, ball two. That was a hook. Wide breaking curve ball. The second base combination, Shane Deans and Reese of the Cardinals and the Dodgers is playing in a little. Hopeful of a double play. Third baseman Pasco is in fairly close with a left-hander up. McQuinn waits for the pitch. There's a drive that goes into center field for a base hit. Keltner goes to second and holds up. Ashburn's throw is cut off by Reese from the American Leaguer's third hit by George McQuinn. Puts runners on first and second with Bertie Tebbets coming up. That was McQuinn's second hit in an all-star game. And this is his third all-star contest. So again, the American Leaguers have the tie-breaking run on second base. Bertie Tebbets' batting average is 286. And this is his second all-star game. In his last all-star game, he went to bat four times. No hits. George uses an open stance slightly, bends his knees, and looks at one inside for ball one. Keltner on second, McQuinn on first. Schmidt is having less luck in his first inning than Branca did in his. The game is tied 2-2. Here it comes. Inside. Ball two, two and nothing. Keltner goes back and tags up at second in routine fashion. Red Shane Deans is playing fairly deep at second base, and Johnny Sane of the Boston Braves is warming up again. The stretch. Here it comes. Inside, three and nothing. Schmitz has been pitching tightly to Bertie Tebbets. Too close to the fist. 
Dorr and Stevens have both finished their warm-ups and have come back to the dugout. Three and nothing. Devitt is in a position now of waiting for one of the good ones that Johnny Schmitz must throw to avoid walking him. Here it is. Way outside. The bases are loaded. That's the fourth base on balls given the American leaguers. And in a sense, that has been partially the undoing of the National League because it has cost them their initial 2 to nothing and then 2 to 1 lead. The score is tied 2-2, the bases are filled, and Vic Rashi is the batter. Rashi is very workmanlike. He gives you the impression of quiet, modest, confident efficiency when he steps into the batter's box. Pee Wee Reese just had a word with Johnny Schmitz. Their opponents every other day of the year, but not today when the National League gets together in an attempt to upset the American League apple cart. There's a drive to left field for a base hit. It's 3-2 to two American League. And here comes another run to the plate. The throw is not in time. It's 4-2 to two with runners on first and third as Rashi upsets the dope and drives in two runs. Rashi, after swinging and missing two curveballs, found a pitch to his liking, singled sharply to left field, scoring Keltner and McQuinn and sending Tebbets to third. Pat Mullen is being lifted for Joe DiMaggio. Eddie Dyer is coming out, and that may be the signal for the replacement of Johnny Schmitz with Johnny Sane, right-hander of the Boston Braves. There's the announcement. And that is the signal for a fresh burst of applause. And Johnny Sane is being called in for the National Leaguers. After hitting a line drive foul and then taking another ball, Rashi straightened out that foul ball that he had hit previously and hit a sharp line drive right over the head of third baseman Andy Pafko. Now there's a neat little mound of National Leaguers out on the mound. Red Shane Deanst and Johnny Mize are the only two who are not currently sharing in it. Reese comes strolling down off the edge, and John Sane is coming in from the bullpen. Sane has an 11 and 6 record for the Boston Braves. And this is all happening in the last half of the fourth inning. Sane has been in one previous All Star game. And he was the losing pitcher, you'll recall, last year. In one inning, he allowed one earned run, two hits, struck out one. But he was charged with a defeat. This is the ninth active appearance in an all-star game uniform for Joe DiMaggio. He was chosen ten times, but did not appear one time. This, of course, is his tenth season in baseball. He has been chosen every time. Johnny Schmitz has fared the worst of all the pitchers in the contest so far because there's just one man out, and the last four have reached. He got Hoot Evers on a pop-up. He quieted that home run bat of his. But then Keltner banged a single to left field. McQuinn followed with a single through the middle. Bertie Tebbets got a base on balls. 
And then Vic Rashi hit a two and two pitch into left field to score Keltner from third base, McQuinn from second base, and send Bernie Tebbets all the way around to third. This is the kind of a day, incidentally, when a pitcher needs no jacket at first base. What he really would like in all probability is a nice air cooling system that could be installed in his uniform to cool him down as he runs around. Joe DiMaggio gets set. The big fellow has a 3.02 batting average for the season so far. He has a 2.19 all-star game average, seven hits, and one home run. He's driven in two runs previously. He's suffering from sore heels and sore knees, so could not see a too active service. Johnny Sane broke his position on the mound, and Walker Cooper is going out to have a chat with him. Even though he is not at his physical peak, Joe DiMaggio is a frightening picture for almost any pitcher to contemplate. Far and away, one of the great baseball players of all time. And he comes from a distinguished San Francisco baseball playing family. He stands straight away, erect in the box, waits for Sane's pitch. And there's a drive to left field. Tagging up a third base is Tebbett. Musial makes the play. And run number five scores. It was a line drive that was hit to left field. So the big fellow has driven in his third all-star run. And the American leaguers have taken a 5-2 to two lead. Two men out. Tommy Henrik up. All three of those runs were charged to Johnny Schmitz in one-third of an inning. Tommy Henrik has struck out twice. Dimage is applauded as he goes back to the dugout, and now he can head for the showers. There's a drive down the right field line that is going to be close to fair territory. Foul ball. Enos Slaughter ran into one of the grounds crewmen who didn't get out of the way quickly enough. And as Slaughter put his arms around him, I think the gentleman served as sort of a bumper for him. I'm certain that he was considerably softer than that concrete wall. One strike. Rashi was well around second base on his way to third. The ball was fouled by about three feet. Junior Stevens is in the on-deck circle to bat for Lou Boudreau. Henrik is a left-hander, and he hits a high pop-up. Pee Wee Reese is calling for it out on the skin of the infield to the left of second. He takes it, and that ends the inning. And it was a big inning, too, as Henrik popped up to Pee Wee Reese to end it. The American Leaguers came up with three runs in that frame on only three hits. There were no errors. One base on balls, the fourth, and there was just the one runner left. So, at the end of four innings of play, the American Leaguers have five runs, four hits, no errors, three runners left. The National Leaguers have two runs, five hits, no errors, and four runners left. Change in the American League lineup at the moment. At shortstop, Junior Stevens of the Boston Red Sox in place of Lou Boudreau. Bobby Dorr of the Boston Red Sox in place of Joe Gordon. And there will have to be a replacement 
in right field, Al Zarilla of the St. Louis Browns in place of Pat Mullen of the Detroit Tigers. Those three replacements, 12 to a total of five, the American League replacements of the past inning. The American League batting order now, Zarilla, right field, Henrik, left field, Stevens, shortstop, Dore, second base, Evers in center, Keltner at third, McQuinn still at first, Tebbets catching, and Vic Rashi of the Yankees doing the pitching. The public address system announcer is acquainting the fans here at Sportsman's Park with a number of changes. And out in right field, four National Leaguers are beginning to warm up. Not pitchers. Bob Elliott is one of them, and they will doubtless go to other positions. Bill Macy, a catcher, is one of them. But meanwhile, Richie Ashburn, with one hit and two trips, leads off in the fifth. Rashi's first pitch is right over the plate for a called strike. Curveball. Rashi pitches. Strike two. A called curveball. The American League leads 5-2 to two at the end of four innings of play. Clyde McCullough is another of the National Leaguers warming up. Buddy Kerr of the Giants is the other. The windup. High. One ball, two strikes the count. Eddie Dyer still coaching at third base, and Mellot doing the coaching at first base for the National Leaguers. The outfield is playing Ashburn a little to the left. There's a ground ball that goes to center field for a base hit. It went by Junior Stevens as he streaked over to try to knock it down, and Ashburn gets his second hit. That is the sixth hit for the National Leaguers. A single to center by little Richie Ashburn of the Philadelphia Phils, one of the rookie sensations of the year. Shane Deans, the second baseman up. He has grounded to first and fouled to first. A left-hander. There's a ground ball that goes foul down the right field line. And Buddy Kerr of the Giants turns around and feels that one. Flips it back to first base umpire Bill Stewart. One strike to count. The pitch inside. A fastball that made Shane Deans lean away from it. Dan Musial has driven in both National League runs with a two-run homer. He and Ashburn have two hits each. Shane Deans is looking for his first one. Curveball outside. Rashi seemed to lose control of that slow one, and the count is two and one. No American leaguer has a total of two hits as yet. As a matter of fact, the American League run total exceeds its hit total. Five runs, four hits. The pitch. There goes a high fly ball toward right center field. Zarilla comes in for it, and he makes the catch with Evers looking on. Right fielder Al Zarilla has taken Shane Dean's fly ball, and here is Sam Musial again. And the National League fans are hopeful that he will repeat.
Hal Newhouser ran out to the bullpen in left field for the American Leaguers, but probably to take a message. Here's the pitch. Outside, ball one. Musial has a two-run home run and a single to center. Two out of two. Bob Lemon of Cleveland is warming up for the American Leaguers. Brashy takes a stretch. There goes a long, high fly ball to right field. Zerilla is running over. And it is a foul ball into the stands. That would not have been a home run because the screen stretches all the way over. Had it been in fair territory, it would have been as many bases as Musio could have made. The American League still clings to its 5-2 to two lead on the basis of that three-run rally in the fourth inning in which Vic Rashi swung the big bat. The count one and one on Musial. One out, one on. Strike call. Rashi slow curved him. One ball, two strikes to count. Johnny Shuley is warming up Bob Lemon of no hit, no run fame. Musial crouches. Swings and misses. Strike three. Pulled the string and threw a slow curveball that broke right down in the dirt. That is the third National League strikeout. That's the first time Musial's big bat has been silenced. Johnny Mize up. Johnny hit a home run in last year's game. He has one hit and two trips in this. He singled through the middle in the first inning. And in the third inning, his roller to Joe Gordon forced Musial. He's a big left-hander. The outfield moves deep. Outside, ball one. Ashburn, in two leadoff capacities, has reached base safely. Each time with hits. The National Leaguers are trying to overcome that three-run deficit. The pitch. There's a ground ball that goes to Bobby Dorr. Dorr makes the play to first base. McQuinn takes it, and that's all for the National Leaguers in the fifth inning as Mize goes out second to first. No runs, one hit, no errors, one runner left. And at the end of four and a half innings of play, the score is American Leaguers five, National Leaguers two. While the fame of his immortal achievement grows with each passing year, no one knows the pitcher who struck out the mighty casing. Just about everybody, on the other hand, can name the razor that fans out tough whiskers with the greatest ease and dispatch. Yes, you're right. It's the improved Gillette Super Speed Razor that changes blades instantly. This razor has a notched positioning bar for use with the Gillette dispenser. Hook on a blade and it drops in place presto. Twist the handle and the razor closes. To clean, loosen the holder, rinse, and shake. Convenient? You said it. What's more, you get shaves that are shaves. Clean, smooth, and oh, so refreshing. No, it doesn't take a locksmith to make this razor work. Ask for the improved Gillette Super Speed Razor with 10-blade dispenser, a big $1.50 value for only a dollar. And now, for the fourth time as an all-star game colleague, it is a privilege again to bring in Mel Allen, the popular broadcaster of the New York Yankees, whose voice you have heard many times on Gillette's All-Star and World Series broadcasts. Mel? Hello there, everybody, once again, and 
Before we get into action here in the last half of the fifth inning, with the American League leading by a score of 5-2, to two, we see the whip, Ewell Blackwell, walking down to the National League bullpen. We have two changes in the National League defensive lineup. Bob Elliott has taken over at third base of the Boston Braves. Buddy Kerr of the New York Giants is at short. Red Chain still at second. Johnny Mize at first. Stan Musial still in left. Richie Ashburn in center. Eno Slaughter in right. And back of the plate, Phil Macy of the Boston Braves has replaced Walker Cooper. So those are your lineup changes, plus the umpire switch with Beans Reardon, who was umpiring at uh, third base, taking over back of the plate. And Charlie Barry of the American League, who was back of the plate, taking over at third with the switch between first and second bases, which we'll pick up in a moment. Junior Stevens leading off, takes the curveball. It's over that outside corner for a call strike. Stevens went in to replace Lou Pedro at shortstop, hitting 300 on the season. Junior is a right-hand hitter. Knows this ballpark very well. Used to play with the St. Louis Browns. Johnny Sane, the right-hander, throws a fastball. Swung on and missed. Strike two. This is Stevens' fourth appearance in an all-star classic. He's had four out of ten for a batting average of 400. Joe Paparella is umpiring at first base now, and Bill Stewart at second as they switch two. So it's the National League umpire back to the plate right now. Johnny Sane's two-strike pitch to Stevens. The curveball's over there for call strike three. A beautiful hook that sailed right over that outside corner just below the shoulders. So Vern Stevens strikes out as we come into the last half of the fifth inning with the American League leading 5-2. to two. That's the first strikeout recorded by Johnny Sane. And the fourth recorded by National League pitchers as starter Ralph Branca whipped three of the American Leaguers. Bobby Doerr, right-hand hitter up, takes high, ball one. Bobby Doerr replaced Joe Gordon at second base. For Bobby Doerr, this is his sixth All-Star game. He's had three hits and 14 times at bat in previous classics. Holds that bat high off his right shoulder. In comes the pitch. Curveball's outside. Ball two. Two balls, no strikes. The score, the American League five. The National League, two. The outfield playing Bobby Doerr over toward left. He's a full hitter. He employs a wide-open stance. The infield shaded around toward third, and there was a hint of thunder, I believe. In comes the pitch now to Bobby Doerr. He takes strike called. That was a fastball over that outside corner, about letter high. It's a 2-1 count on Bobby Doerr. Johnny Sane, the third pitcher employed by Leo DeRocha this afternoon. Sane in a relief role, relieving Johnny Schmitz. Here's the pitch. It's in there for call strike two. Bobby started to swing, held up, but the pitch was in there anyway, sweeping curve. Johnny Schmitz was scheduled to have worked the middle three innings, the fourth, fifth, and sixth. He took over from Branca, who had worked the first three innings, giving up two runs and one hit. But Schmitz was knocked out of there in the fourth inning, and Sane came on to put out the fire. Now the pitch is swung on and missed. Beautiful curveball that Bobby Doerr swung at and missed, and it's strike three, and Johnny Sane records his second successive strikeout. And that's the fifth American Leaguer to go down on strikes today. Now coming up is Hoot Ebers of the Detroit Tigers, who hit a home run in the second inning to give the American League its first run. Popped out to short his last time up. The outfield playing him to pull. Infield shaded around toward third. Johnny Sane delivers over the outside corner for a call strike. And the big Boston Brave right-hander is showing some of the neatest pitching of the afternoon thus far. The American League out in front, 5-2. to two, Last half of the fifth inning. Johnny Reddy delivers. Pitch it's just outside for a ball. Hoot Evers started off at it, held up, and played umpire. Beans Reardon. Called it a ball, and the count is 1-1. One and one. 
One ball, one strike, two outs, nobody on. Last half, fifth inning, five to two, favor the American League. The right-hander delivers. Here's a fastball that's over that outside corner for called strike two. Johnny Sane, who was charged with the defeat in the 1947 All-Star Game, coming on to do some wonderful pitching thus far. Bob Elliott at third, close to that line, halfway back. Sane ready. Here's the one-two pitch to Hootievers. Curveball's in there for called strike three, and he strikes out the side. Johnny Sane strikes out the side in the last half of the fifth inning for one of the highlights of this 15th annual All-Star Game this afternoon. And at the end of five innings of play, the score remains the American League 5, the National League 2, the American League 5 inning totals, 5 runs, 4 hits, no errors, 3 left on, the National League 2 runs, 6 hits, no errors, and 5 men left on base. Before we go into the top half of the sixth inning, ladies and gentlemen, we pause for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is Mel Allen with Jim Britt and Franz Locke speaking to you once again from Sportsman's Park in St. Louis, Missouri, site of the 15th annual Major League All-Star Game. The sun is shining brightly. We're ready to move into the top half of the sixth inning. With the American League leading by a score of 5-2. to two. Celebrities galore from among the Major League Baseball executives here as we sweep around very rapidly. We can see Mr. Ford Frick and Mr. Will Harris, the National American League presidents. Mr. Bill Beck and Hank Greenberg of the Cleveland Indians, Dan Topping, and George Weiss of the New York Yankees, Joe Cronin of the Boston Red Sox. And now we're ready for the sixth inning. Ina Slaughter takes a pitch in there for a call strike. Top half of the sixth. Slaughter walked and singled in his two previous appearances. Left-hand batter, Vic Rashi, a right-hander, throws. Pitch, fastball, inside. And the count is one and one. Kenny Kelton is at third, in on the grass in the event of a bunt. Junior Stevens at short, Bobby Doerr second, George McQuinn first. Henrik is in left, Evers in center, Zarilla in right. In comes the pitch, and it's right down the middle of fastball for call strike two. Eddie Dyer coaching at third base. Mel Ott coaching at first. Joe Coleman of the Philadelphia Athletics, a right-hander warming up in the bullpen with Yogi Berra catching him for the American League. One ball, two strikes to count on Slaughter. They play him to pull to right. Vic Rashi delivers. Slaughter swings and sends a little dribbler out to the mound. Rashi comes in, fields the ball near the first baseline, throws over to McQuinn in time, and there's one away for the National League in the first half of the sixth inning. Slaughter topping the pitch, saying little dribbler, little dribbler out toward the mound, which Rashi converted into the putout by way of George McQuinn. And now we have Bob Elliott stepping in to hit for the first time in the ball game, having replaced Andy Pasco at third base. Member of the Boston Braves, a right-hand hitter. Won the most valuable player award of the National League in 1947. Elliott has uh, been in three all-star games with a batting average of 200. Right-hand batter the pitch. Curveball way outside for ball one. Bob's had one out of five in all-star game competition. The score, American League 5, the National League 2, first half of the sixth inning. Outfield playing him to pull. They round toward left. Rashi delivers. Fastball is just off that outside corner. Just missed it for ball two. Vic Rashi came on to do the pitching for the American League after Walt Masterson had hurled the first three innings, walking one, striking out one, giving up five hits and two runs. Rashi struck out two thus far and has given up one hit, hasn't issued any passes. 
It was a year ago that Frank Shea got credit for the American League victory. In comes the pitch. Swung on, lined solidly into the hole between third and short out in the left field for a base hit. Henrik comes up with the ball on a high bounce, throws on into second. And Elliott is on with a line single to left for the seventh hit of the afternoon for the National League. Coming up to bat now, another member of the Boston Braves, Phil Macy, who replaced Walker Cooper back to the plate. Macy, right-hand batter. He's been in two previous All-Star games, hasn't hit in two times at bat. Vic Rashi takes the stretch, one away. Elliott leads off first. Here's your pitch. Curveball outside, ball one. We started to say a moment ago that Frank Shea was credited with the American League victory last year, a member of the New York Yankees, and at the moment, Vic Rashi is in position to be credited with the victory representing the New York Yankees again this year. Simply a matter of rotation of pitchers and the situation of a ball game. Here's your delivery. Curveball is way outside. Bertie Tebbets blocked it beautifully to keep from being a wild pitch. And the count now on Phil Macy, a right-hand batter, two balls, no strikes. Ewell Blackwell of the Cincinnati Reds is throwing the bullpen. Tommy Holmes of the Boston Braves is warming up out there. We'll see action shortly. Bob Elliott leads away from first base, one out. Five to two, favor the American League sixth inning. There's the pitch that's lined out in the center field for a base hit. Taken on one hop by Hoot Evers. Holding up at second is Elliott as Evers fires that throw into third, cut off by Stevens at short. And the National League is beginning to stir here in the sixth inning as they come up with their eighth hit of the ball game. They've outhit the American League now, eight to four, but the American League leads by a score of five to two, capitalizing on wildness in the fourth inning on the part of Johnny Schmitz together with three solid base hits. Now Buddy Kerr steps up, batting in place of Pee Wee Reese, for whom he substituted it short. Buddy Kerr of the New York Giants, another right-hand hitter. Buddy Kerr's first appearance in an all-star game. You've got Bob Elliott on second, Phil Macy on first. One out, sixth inning, five to two American League. And ominous clouds are looming back at center field. Here's the pitch. Inside and high, ball one. In addition to Joe Coleman in the American League bullpen, we've got further activity. Bob Lemon is beginning to throw as Vic Rashi is showing a sign of weakening. Two men on, one out. Sixth inning, five to two American League. The National League threatening. Buddy Carr up there, right-hand hitter, chokes his bat about three inches. Outfield step toward left. Your pitch is right over that inside corner. There's a throw down to second base, but it's knocked off by Vic Rashi at the mound as Bertie Tebbets bluffed the throw down there but threw it right back to Rashi hard and Bob Elliott went scooting back into second base as Bobby Dora had sneaked in behind him for a potential pickoff. All right, we're ready. Here's your pitch. Buddy Kerr swings and sends a dribbler down toward third. Kenny Keltner comes in up with it, makes his play to first base to McQuinn in time for the out with Elliott going to third and Macy to second. So Kerr is out. Keltner to McQuinn on a slow roll of the third. Two down, scheduled to hit, is the pitcher, Johnny Sane. But certainly, Leo DeRocher will now send up a pinch hitter. It's beginning to get very dark out here at Sportsman's Park, ladies and gentlemen. We, you, we can see rain way off in the distance. And not too far off in the distance. The wind is blowing those clouds in this direction, over the ballpark. And the wind's beginning to blow around. Put some weights on your papers, fellas. And we may have rain here in any moment, at any moment. But, of course, it's already a full ball game. We've gone five innings. We're going to have a pinch hitter for Johnny Sane. It's going to be Ed Waitkus. 
of the Chicago Cubs, making his first appearance in an all-star game, a left-hand hitter. Eddie Waitkus coming up. Left-hand batter with two men on, runners on second and third. Waitkus, a boy from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Elliott on third, Macy on second, and Rain in the offing. Rain, rain, go away, come back another day. Here's the pitch. Waitkus takes outside and high, ball one. So the American League is being disturbed by the National League at the moment, though the American League leads 5-2, to two, top of the sixth, and everybody's being disturbed by the threat of rain. Now the pitch comes in to Waitkus. He takes outside, ball two. The wind is blowing, blowing in toward home plate. And it is definitely raining about a half a mile from here. We can see it. And it's moving this way. Let's hope it holds away. Vic Rashi looks in to get the sign from Bertie Tubbets. Elliott leads off third. Macy off second. Two out, sixth inning. Five to two. Favor the American League. Rashi gets the sign. Pinch hitter Ed Waitkus up there at the plate. A left-hand batter. Here's the delivery. And curveball inside for ball three. And the wind is blowing hard. And blowing those rain clouds this way. And the fans are stirring in their seats. And they're beginning to move from the bleachers to uh, shelter. And the Sportsman's Park groundkeepers are getting ready to roll that tarpaulin. Big crash into the windup. The 3-0 pitch to Waitkus. In there for a call strike. And what was a beautiful day up until this moment, or a couple of moments ago, is, be, is being turned into stormy weather on the banks of the Mississippi. Three balls, one strike. Runners on second and third, two outs. Here's your pitch. Waitkus takes strike two, call a fastball and zipped over the outside corner above the knees. Now the pinch hitter steps out of the batter's box, rubs his hands together, moves back in hitting position. Elliott on third, Macy on second, two outs, sixth inning, five to two, American League. Here's the payoff pitch. Eddie Waitkus swings and fouls it off to the left of the plate, out of play into the lower stands. And the count holds at three and two. Richie Ashburn, the leadoff man, is on deck. Oh, Mr. Rain, Mr. Rain, please don't come this way. Hold off, hold off for at least another hour or so. Now the payoff pitch. Waitkus takes high, ball four in the National League. Got him loaded. That is the first base on balls given up by Vic Rashi. And the second pass issued by American League pitchers. Masterson walked one in his three innings. You got Elliott on third, Macy on second. Eddie Waitkus on first base, two out, sixth inning, five to two, American League. And here's Richie Ashburn, who's had two out of three, two singles, fly to left in his other appearance. And the pitch, Ashburn takes strike call, a fastball, poured over there, letter high. Vic Rashi in a bit of a jam, goes to the Rosenbach, gives a little touch. Activity in both bullpens, Lemon... And Coleman warming up in the American League bullpen. Blackwell for the National League. Base is loaded. Rain is on its way. The pitch. High outside. Almost a wild pitch. Bertie Tebbets had to go far off to his left. Reach way over his head to keep that one from being a wild pitch. Bertie calls time. And walks out toward the mound to try and settle Vic Rashi down. The William and Mary boy. Who was born in West Springfield, Massachusetts. Now lives at Canisius Lake, New York. Often referred to as the Springfield Rifle. On the mound with a count. One ball, one strike, two outs, bases loaded. Top of the sixth inning, American League leading 5-2, to two, with the National League having the bases loaded and two down. And the pitch. Swung on and fouled back to the screen, strike two. 
The wind is blowing at a terrific clip. Over toward left field. And blowing in toward the plate now as it quarters around. Elliott on third, Macy on second, Waitkus on first, two outs, sixth inning. One ball, two strikes, two outs. Richie Ash from the batter, left-hand hitter. Vic Rashi into the windup. Here's the pitch. And it's in there for called strike three. Beautiful curveball. And Vic Rashi pitches himself out of the jam. So for the National League, no runs. Two hits. No American League errors. And three big men left on for the National League. And the score at the end of five and a half innings remains the American League five, the National League two. When I say he won 511 games during his pitching career, you know I'm talking about the all-time no-hit king. Yes, and when I tell you it has the sharpest edges ever honed, today's Gillette Blue Blade pops into your mind. Men, this blade fits your Gillette razor exactly. Its edges line up absolutely parallel and extend precisely the right distance. You avoid the irritation and discomfort caused by misfit blades and faulty shaving methods. For extra convenience, at no extra cost, buy Gillette Blue Blades and the handy Gillette Dispenser. This contains 20 blades with 40 shaving edges. You deal them out one at a time, unwrapped, ready for any Gillette razor. Also, you pay only 98 cents, price of the blades alone. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Coming in to do the pitching now for the National League and causing oohs and ahs as he fires that ball into the plate in his warm-up pitches is Ewell Blackwell, sensational right-hander of the Cincinnati Reds. The buggy whip. Tommy Holmes has gone into right field replacing the slaughter. Holmes of the Boston Braves. Ashburn is still in center. Stan Musial still in left. Bob Elliott at third, Buddy Kerr short, Red Shane Dean second, Johnny Mize first. Shane Dean and Mize have been in there ever since the game started. Phil Macy doing the catching and Ewell Blackwell coming on to do the pitching. As we go into the last half of the sixth inning, Johnny Sane came into the fourth inning with one out, worked the fifth. So he worked one and two-thirds innings. Kenny Keltner leads off for the American League. Last half of the sixth inning, right-hand batter. The first pitch is high, ball one. Keltner walked in the second inning and single to left in the fourth. It's thundering in the distance out back of right field. Five to two American League. Last half of the sixth inning. Ewell Blackwell sidearms him. It swung on and lined out to right field viciously. Going back is Holmes. He makes the catch knee high as the ball sank on him as he went back on it. And there's one away for the American League in the last half of the sixth. Coming up now is George McQuinn, who's been in there at first base throughout the contest. McQuinn flied to center and singled to center in his two previous appearances. Ewell Blackwell on the hill. Appearing in his third All-Star game. Throws a curveball that swung on. Boots over the head of Bertie Kerr out into short left center. And he drops in there for a base hit in front of Stan Musial, who gave it a good try. And McQuinn is on with his second hit in succession. A bloop single to left center. And for George McQuinn, it's his third All-Star game hit. He had one out of eight until the start of today's All-Star Classic. This being McQuinn's third appearance in one of these Midsummer Dream games. That's the fifth American League hit of the afternoon. The first off, Blackwell, and here's Bertie Tebbett. 
Peppery backstop of the Boston Red Sox, a right-hand hitter who replaced Buddy Rosar back to the plate. There goes McQuinn, hit and runs on. The pitch is swung on a miss. The throw down to Curry. Puts the tag on McQuinn, and, he, and he's out. And then the decision is changed by Bill Stewart, and he says he's safe. And Buddy Kerr is arguing with Bill Stewart, the first disturbance of that kind in the ball game. Buddy Kerr can't contain himself as he goes after Bill Stewart. Bill Stewart keeps walking away from him, and the New York Giants fighting shortstop is right after the diminutive umpire. Evidently, Buddy Kerr must have missed the tag. And Buddy is still arguing with Bill Stewart. It scored as a stolen base. The hit and run was on. The pitch was way outside. I don't think it was a pitch out. Tebbett swung at the ball anyway. The throw down was in time, but somehow or other McQuinn got around the tag to stolen base. The count on Tebbett's is one strike. One away, last of the sixth inning. Blackwell has the stretch, sidearms the hitter, and it's way outside for a ball. One and one. I'll tell you one thing. If I were a right-hand hitter, I'd hate to stand up there against that Blackwell. He's all arms and legs. I think Lou Smith, Cincinnati sports writer, described Blackwell. Appearing to a batter, uh, when he delivers that ball to a batter, uh, appearing to the batter as if his man falling down out of a clump of trees. The tall right-hander throws, curveballs outside, ball two. Two and one, sidearm sinker specialist. Mixes it up with a good fastball, curve. Two balls, one strike to count on Bertie Tebbets. George McQuinn on second base, one out, last half of the sixth inning. The American League five, the National League two. Stan Musial homered in the first inning with one on to give the National League a temporary 2 nothing lead. Now Ewell Blackwell delivers, fastball swung on and missed. Tebbets went all the way around, the count is 2-2. The outfield is playing Tebbets just about straight away. Perhaps a step toward left and center and left, straight away and right. A lot of room in right center. Bob Elliott laying halfway back at third, about four feet off the line. Buddy Kerr, normal short in the step. Red Shane Deans over near second. Johnny Mize about ten feet off the first baseline and back. McQuinn leads away from second. Ewell Blackwell ready. The stretch, a look back at second. Here's the pitch to Tebbets. He takes high for ball three. So we have a full count on Birdie, three and two. Beans Reardon up back to the plate now. Joe Paparella at first base. Bill Stewart at second. Charlie Berry at third. Barry umpired back to the plate. The first four and a half innings. Ready for that payoff pitch to Bertie Tubbets. One down. McQuinn leads off second. Here it is. It swung on and blooped foul. Back of first. Johnny Myers digs after the ball, but he can't get it. It's out of play into the lower stands to the right of the National League dugout, which is located back of first base. And now just popping his head out of the American League dugout is one of the greatest ball players you've ever seen. He's been injured, and yet he appeared here in a uniform today. Ted Williams. He's got a bat in his hands, and Ted can't uh, sit on a bench and be idle. He's got to be doing something. He's got a bat in his hands, and that's what he likes to have whenever he's around the ballpark. All right, Bertie Tebbets awaiting that payoff pitch once again. Here it is. It's strike three call. A sidearm fastball on the outside corner, and Bertie Tebbets gets mad at Beans Reardon. He got red in the face and hollered at Beans, and Beans took his mask off and went right back at Birdie, and they're standing there face-to-face at home plate. And now Birdie is leaving. And so the second disturbance between the players and the umpires. And I, w- I want you to know that proves that these two ball clubs are out for business. And Ted Williams is going to use that bat, ladies and gentlemen. He comes out of the dugout, and he's going to pinch hit. He's going to pinch hit for Vic Rashi. Bertie Tebbett 
strikes out. And Ted Williams. Listen to the roar. Ted Williams, who pulled a rib cartilage a few days ago and hasn't been able to play for the Boston Red Sox, nevertheless has come on to St. Louis. is in a uniform and is up there to pinch hit with McQuinn on second. Ewell Blackwell pitching. Ted Williams taking outside ball one. And get the picture. One of the greatest right-hand pitchers in baseball. One of the greatest hitters in baseball, left or right, up there at the plate. In this instance, the left-hand hitter, Ted Williams, the kid. The stretch by Blackwell. Look back at second. Here's the pitch to Ted. Williams takes a curve inside. Ball two. And Ted would certainly love to be able to take his full cut. We watched him in batting practice. He wasn't taking that real Williams cut of the ball. But you know he's got so much power, he can take a half swing and send one over the wall. Two balls, no strikes to count on Williams. Two outs. Last half of the sixth inning, 5-2, to two, favor the American League. The outfield around toward right. Buddy Kerr is playing directly in back of second base as the shift is on. The stretch, the pitch. Williams accidentally fouls one off to the right of the plate, a slow curve. He tried to check his swing. He was ready to step into the pitch. He saw a slow curve coming up there, and he tried to check his swing, but the ball hit the handle of the bat and skittered foul off to the right of the plate. The National League version... Of the shift has Buddy Kerr, the shortstop, playing directly in back of second base. Most times the shortstop will play a normal second with your second baseman over toward first and your first baseman right on top of the first baseline. Shane Deans is well over toward first. Mize is on the line. Blackwell ready. Here's the delivery. Curveball is outside for ball three. Three and one. Bob Elliott, the third baseman, is laying about 10, 15 feet off the third baseline halfway back. So it's a 3-1 count on Williams. He has a look at Chuck Dresson coaching at third for any sign that might be Sonny's way, and you can be sure that Bucky Harris is go-ahead, son, and hit it if you like it. So Blackwell is ready. The buggy whip. Here's a 3-1 pitch. Ted Williams takes high outside, ball four, and Ted strolls. Some of the fans uh, indicate their displeasure over Williams' inability to swing at one, but Ted takes a walk down to first base. And now, native St. Louisans applaud the appearance of one of their own St. Louis Brownies, Al Zarilla. And here is Hal Newhouser going down to run for Ted Williams. Hal Newhouser, great left-hand pitcher of the Detroit Tigers, makes his appearance in the ball game as a runner for Ted Williams. We're in the last half of the sixth inning, ladies and gentlemen, with a score. The American League 5, the National League 2. There are two outs. McQuinn's on second. Newhouser running for Williams is on first. The batter is Al Zarilla, left-hand hitter. Ewell Blackwell has to stretch the pitch. Zarilla swings and sends a bounding ball out to Shane Dean's Two hops. He's up with it over to Kerr for the fourth out on Newhouser. And that is all for the American League in the last half of the sixth. No runs. One hit. No errors. Two men left on. And the score at the end of six innings, the American League five, the National League two. And right now, let's pause for station identification. This is the world's largest network, the Mutual Broadcasting System.
Ladies and gentlemen, speaking to you once again from Sportsman's Park in St. Louis, the appearance of Ted Williams gives occasion to utter the thoughts of the baseball commissioner, Commissioner A.B. Chandler, who authorized us to make this statement to you baseball fans of America. He said that almost without exception, every man who was selected by you fans and by the managers is here today in uniform despite injuries or whatever the uh, situation may be. And he wants to assure you that in the future, the Major League ball players will continue to keep faith with the baseball fans of America. And that in the future, all men who are selected will be here in uniform if it's physically possible for them to be here. Rashi worked three innings, gave up three hits, no runs. And as the score now stands, as the situation now stands, Rashi may be credited with a victory. Walt Masterson went the first three innings, giving up a home run to Stan Musial in the first inning with one on. Here's the pitch. Shane Dean swings, golfs the grounder out toward second. Bobby Doerr scoops it up, throws over to McQuinn in time, and there's one away. As the ball almost played a dirty trick on Bobby by taking a bad hop. But Bobby watched it and played it perfectly to retire Shane Deans for the first out in the top of the seventh. And here is Stan Musio, who hit a home run in the first inning with one arm. Richie Ashburn led off and got himself an infield hit. Musio singled in the third, struck out in the fifth. Right-hander Joe Coleman comes in with an overhand curveball that zips over that inside corner for a called strike. Joe Coleman of the Philadelphia Athletics. Six-foot, 293-pounder. Comes in with fastball that's outside, one and one. Coleman, a 25-year-old boy, is from Arlington, Massachusetts, and we have quite a number of New Englanders in the ball game today for both teams. Outfield around toward right. Here's your delivery. It's a curve inside, round the knees. Ball two, two and one. One out, seventh inning. Johnny Mize is on deck. Stan Musial at the plate. And Ralph Kiner is throwing out the bullpen. He may see some action shortly. Here's your pitch. Musial takes outside. Ball three, three and one. Joe Coleman, you know, is the boy that was discovered by Father Gilbert, who discovered Babe Ruth. Now the pitch to Stan. Inside ball four, and one of the great hitters in baseball gets the base on balls here in the seventh inning. And coming to bat is Johnny Mize of the New York Giants, who's been in the ball game all the way, as has Musial. Mize has had one out of three, first inning single, hit into a force play in the third inning, and grounded out to second in the fifth. Coleman delivers, pitch that's inside for ball one. For the American League, you've got Tommy Hendrick in left field. Hoot Evers in center. They've been in all the way. Al Zarella in right, having replaced Pat Mullen. Kenny Keltner's at third. He's been in there all the way. Junior Stevens at short, replaced Bedreau. Door at second, replaced Gordon. McQuinn at first in there all the way. The pitch, Mize holds up as he started to swing at a curve that came inside for ball two. Bertie Tebbets is back to the plate for the American League, having uh, relieved Buddy Rosar. Joe Coleman... On the hill from the American League, having replaced Vic Rashi. Delivers to Mize, who takes a fastball over at the knees. Strike one call. Two and one the count on Big John. Eddie Dyer, manager of the Cardinals, coaching at third. Mallott, manager of the New York Giants, coaching at first. McQuinn, not holding against Mutual, has stepped in behind him. Coleman ready, delivers. Mize takes strike two called over the inside corner, ladder high. Big John steps out and looks around at Beans Ridden to question the decision. 
as Bertie Tebbett's throw back to Coleman got away from him, rolled out toward second, and Doran Stevens, alert, converged to keep the ball from going into center. No advance. Two balls, two strikes, one out. National League fans starting that rhythmic applause, calling for a rally. Joe Coleman ready, delivers. Johnny Mize swings and grounds it foul off to the right of the plate. There's thunder in the distance, and we hope that the wind will blow the storm away. We're in the seventh inning with the score. The American League 5, the National League 2. National League got off to a 2-0 lead in the first inning. American League got one in the second, one in the third, and three in the fourth to go ahead 5-2. One down. Musial on first. Mize the batter. The count 2-2. Coleman delivers. John swings and he misses. Strike three to slow curve. We've noticed that the American League pitchers have been slowing up on these sluggers in the right spot when they've had the count in the right spot. And now here is Tommy Holmes, who replaced Enos Slaughter in right field. Tommy Holmes, a Brooklyn boy, playing with the Boston Braves, who at one time belonged to the New York Yankees, hitting 330 on the season, a left-hand batter. Joe Coleman, a member of those amazing Philadelphia Athletics, doing the pitching now, having just come on in this inning, throws. The pitch is swung on, topped out to the mound, taken to one hop by Coleman, throws over to McQuinn, Holmes is out, and that's all for the National League. In the top half of the seventh inning, no runs, no hits, no American League errors, one left on for the National League, a total of nine they've stranded. And at the end of six and a half innings, the score, American League five, National League two. You know, old-timers say it was next to impossible to hit a ball past Jimmy Collins, the greatest of all third basemen. Yes, and going to the impossible, you can't name another shaving instrument that compares with a modern Gillette one-piece razor. Take, for instance, the improved Gillette Super Speed razor that changes blades instantly. Twist, the razor opens. Zip, it's loaded. Twist again, and you're ready for the sweetest shave ever. Every stroke is light and gentle. There's no drag, no irritation. You skim off stubble, slick as a whistle. Save time, save fuss. To clean, loosen the holder, rinse, and shake. Here's a precision instrument, not a gadget. There's nothing to fit together, nothing to jam or clog. For modern shaving comfort and convenience, get the improved Gillette Super Speed Razor with 10-blade Gillette Dispenser. A big $1.50 value for only a dollar. Coming into the last half of the seventh inning, changes in the National League lineup. Replacing Al Sheendienst at second base is Bill Rigney of the New York Giants. Stan Musial has moved over to center field, and Ralph Kiner of the Pittsburgh Pirates has taken over in left field. So make those changes, if you will. Put Musial in Richie Ashburn's place in center, and put Ralph Kiner in left field. Tommy Henrik leading off last of the seventh. Ewell Blackwell throws a curve that's outside for ball one. Put Bill Rigney in there at second base in place of Red Shandings. Right-hander Ewell Blackwell delivers. Tommy Hendrick takes right in there for a call strike. Fastball zipped over there about letter high. It's a 5-2 ball game. Favor of the American League. Last half of the seventh inning. Hendrick's been in the all, all the way. He struck out twice. Popped out to short once. Blackwell throws. Fastball is swung on. Drilled foul down the left field line. And out of play. It goes into the stands. One ball, two strikes the count on Tommy. Boy from Maslin, Ohio. Considered by many to be one of the most underrated baseball players in the major leagues. One ball, two strikes the count. 
Blackwell hasn't looked over into the National League dugout. Evidently, Leo DeRocher must have hollered at him to throw a certain kind of a pitch. But anyway, here it comes, and it's high. Ball two. Two-two the count. This is Henrik's third All-Star game. He came in today's Classic with one out of five. Hasn't hit today in three appearances. Two balls, two strikes. Ewell Blackwell delivers. Curveball swung on and fouled off again back at third base. Into the upper deck. Count holds it 2-2. We are indebted for the official scoring on doubtful plays to Mr. Ed Burns, Bob Burns, and Sid Keener of the Fourth Estate. Now the 2-2 pitch on its way. Tommy Hendricks swings and fouls another one off to the left of the plate into the upper deck. As the Thunder breaks loose with an ominous warning, and we hope that's all it will be is just a warning. We'll be, we'll be nice and gentle and quiet if you just let the rain hold off for a little while longer. 5-2, to two, American League last to 7. Again the pitch to Henrik. Tommy takes outside, fastball, ball three, and the string is run out to three and two. Blackwell has won six and lost five this year. A sore arm took charge of him shortly after the season got underway, and he has not been able to establish the sensational record this year that he did last year. Now the payoff pitch to Tommy Henrik. Swung on, popped up in the air down the left field line, going foul and out of play into the lower stands as Ralph Conner started digging over for it. Bob Elliott and Buddy Kerr both started to move, but they saw it was foul and held up. Elliott third, Kerr short, Rigney second, Mize first, Macy catching, Kiner left, Musial center, Holmes right. Blackwell pitching to Tommy Hendrick and the 3-2 delivery. Fastball is inside, ball four, and Hendrick gets a base on balls to lead off for the American League in the last half of the seventh inning. That is the sixth base on balls given up by National League pitchers today. And here is Junior Stevens coming to bat. Vern Stevens, who replaced Luba Droid Short. Stevens struck out in the fifth inning in his first time at bat today. Black already. Sidearm Stevens, and the pitch is outside. Ball one. One ball, no strikes. Stevens has been a great help to those Red Sox, particularly in the last couple of weeks. He's really been banging the ball. Takes the pitch inside now for ball two. He's been challenging Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio for runs batted in honors in the American League and home run honors as well. Two balls, no strikes to count. Outfield toward left. Stevens is a full hitter. Nobody out. Henry Kahn first. Johnny Mize holding against him. Blackwell taking his time, looks in and gets the sign from Phil Macy. Thundering again. Henrik leads off first. Blackwell ready. I look around. Here's your pitch. Swung on. Hit into the hole between third and short out in the left field for a base hit. Kiner takes the ball on the hop, throws toward third, holding Henrik at second base. So Vern Stevens singles to left field to send Henrik down to second. And there's renewed activity now in the... National League bullpen. Looks like Elmer Riddle. Elmer Riddle of the Pittsburgh Pirates, who first gained fame as a member of the Cincinnati Reds, is beginning to warm up the bullpen, and we see a flash of lightning off back of right field. 
And there's the thunder that follows. And here is Bobby Doris the plate with runners on first and second. The stretch by Blackwell. Here's the pitch. Bobby shortens up, misses an attempted bunt. A throw down to Buddy Kerr, and Henrik is safe at second base. As the tag was put on, he slid in underneath it. Bill Stewart called it. Bobby Doerr missed an attempted bunt. The runners were way off their respective bases, ready to move. Bill Macy cut loose with a beautiful throw down on the bag, which Buddy Kerr came over and took on the run, put the tag on Henrik sliding in, but Henrik beat the tag. Elliott's in close at third. Mize in close at first to look for the bunt. Elliott will try to anchor at third in the event Blackwell or Mize can handle the bunt or Macy the catcher. Now the pitch is bunted, popped up in the air. Mize comes in fast, grabs it in the air for the out, and the runners alert, streak back to their respective bases, one away. The Bobby Doerr attempting to sacrifice pops out to Johnny Mize halfway between home plate and first base. And now coming to bat is Hoot Evers, who's been in there all the way. The Detroit Tiger outfielder hit a home run in the second inning for the first American League run. Popped to short in the fourth and looked to the third strike in the fifth inning. Bats him right-handed. Five to two, American League, last to the seventh. One out, runners on first and second. Ewell Blackwell delivers. Hoot Evers swings and fouls a curve off. Back of first base, out of play against the upper deck uh, steel girder, sometimes known as a facade. One strike to count. One out. Evers, a right-hand hitter of the batter of the outfield toward left. Henrik is on second. Vern Stevens on first. Infield shaded around toward third with Bob Elliott laying halfway back at third and about three, four feet off the line. Blackwell all set. Looks back at second and then steps off the rubber, bluffs a throw, and bluffs Henrik back toward second. Nobody was over to take the throw in any event. Once again, we're ready to stretch by Blackwell. Runners dance away. Here's a crossfire that's outside. Ball one to Hoot Evers. One ball, one strike. A young man who came to the Tigers touted as a potential great and who was stymied for a couple of years by injuries. So far this season, he's doing nicely. Thank you. Blackwell throws. Curve that swung on and missed. Strike two. I'm telling you, that sidearm stuff of Blackwell's is murder on a right-hand hitter. One ball, two strikes to count. Hoot Evers the batter. Tommy Henrik eases off second base. Stevens off first. Johnny Mize not holding against Stevens, of course. He's laying back deep at first, about ten feet off the line. Blackwell again prepares to work. Takes the stretch, looks back at second base. Here's the one-two pitch. High outside. The ball bounces out of the middle of Macy. No advance. And the count becomes 2-2. Jimmy Britt has seen Yule Blackwell work many a ball game. He looks awful rough even from a radio broadcasting booth, doesn't he, Jim? I wouldn't want to stand up there with a bat that short, Mel. Two balls, two strikes. One out. Blackwell sets once again. Looks back at second. Here's his pitch. Swung on and fouled off back of first, out of play, going into the lower stands as another clap of thunder bursts overhead. A short-sleeved crowd, and they have long since gathered their belongings, preparing to make a mad dash to the nearest shelter in the event the ominous-looking clouds overhead should uh, let their wrath down upon those who've been kind enough to come out to see this all-star game. Ewell Blackwell throws, pitches, swung on, foul tips, and gets away from Phil. And the count holds it 2-2. It's a 5-2 ball game, ladies and gentlemen. Last half of the seventh inning. 
favor the American League, the broadcast coming to you the best wishes of the Gillette Safety Razor Company from Sportsman's Park in St. Louis. Ewell Blackwell, fourth pitcher used by the National League today, on the hill, pitching to Hoot Evers with Tommy Henrik, who walked on second base, and Vern Stevens, who singled on first. And there's one out. Now the 2-2 pitch. Swung on, fouled off again to the right of the plate as Evers keeps trying to get hold of it. Ball's out of play. Phil Macy gets a new ball from plate umpire Beans Reardon, tosses out to Blackwell. Meantime, Elmer Riddle continues to work in the bullpen for the National League. Blackwell checks with Macy for the sign. Henrik's about to wear out the baseline, leading off second, and Stevens from first. Here's your pitch. Fastball swung on, hit down the right field line, and he goes foul into the National League bullpen. That's an indication in itself of how speedy Blackwell is when a pull hitter like Hoot Evers continually hits him to right field, though foul. Shows that uh, it's tough to get around on Blackwell's fast up. Right-hander looks in to get that sign from Macy. Henrik again leads off second. Vern Stevens takes his lead off first. The tall right-hander that has the stretch. Here's the pitch. Swung on, foul off again, off to the right of the plate. The ball down, bounces back down into the stands from off the roof. And, of course, as we indicated to you earlier, Commissioner Chandler said that no matter... How dark it might become if the ball game should be tied up. We'll turn on the lights and keep going until the game reaches a conclusion. Of course, it's difficult to do very much about the rain. If the rain comes down, I'm afraid we shan't be able to uh, help out that situation. Two balls, two strikes, one out. Runners on first and second. You old Blackwell ready. Here's his pitch. It's swung on by Evers, popped up into the air at about the mound, and with one out, we're looking for the infield fly rule to be called. It is, but Rigney comes in to make the catch at the mound, making the catch that uh, Rabbit Marinville used to make around the midsection, letting that ball pop into his glove as he holds his glove just about belt high. But the batter was automatically out anyway, under the rule which says with runners on first and second or first, second, and third, less than two out, if a ball is popped into the air, which in the judgment of the umpire can be easily handled by an infielder. The batter is automatically out. The runners move at their own risk. So, Evers pops to Rigney at the mound. And here's Kenny Keltner, who walks single to left and flies to right. Two men down. Here's the pitch to the right-hand batter. He swings and sends a drive out to left field. Ralph Kiner backing up, getting under it, and he takes it for the out. So once again, Ewell Blackwell pitches himself out of a potential jam. No runs for the American League. One hit. No errors for the National League. Two men left on for the American League. A total of seven that they have stranded. And the score at the end of seven innings remains the American League five, the National League two. And incidentally, if you are sticklers for tradition and statistics, never has a National League entry ever won an all-star game when it has been the visiting team. The official paid attendance today, 34,009. Nine folks over 34000 with the total receipts $93,447.07. And, of course, the All-Star Game, as you know, is played for indigent ball players. That's where the money goes. 
for ball players who have found their luck going against them after they have retired from active play. All right, we're ready now to move into the first half of the eighth inning for the American League out in front by a 5-2 to two score. And here is Bob Elliott coming up for the National League. Right-hand batter, Joe Coleman of the Athletics throws, fastball high inside, ball one. One ball, no strikes. At the end of the game, Franz Locks will be on hand to give you a recapitulation of what occurred during the course of the game if you missed any of it. There's a curve that's over the outside corner for a call strike. And Elliott stepped out of the batter's box, a little bit angry about it. And Beans Reardon is looking away from him as the fans have something to say. One ball, one strike. Joe Coleman ready. The right-hander throws. Elliott swings and sends a long drive deep to right field. Alzarilla backs up near the wall and makes the catch for the out as that ball taking off as it left the bat. Looked as if it might go deeper than it did and then sank, which cut down the distance of the drive. So Elliott lines to Alzarilla in right center. First half of the eighth inning with the score of the American League 5, the National League 2. Stan Musial's first inning homer with one aboard gave the National League a temporary 2-0 lead. Hoot Evers had a home run in the second to make it 2-1. The American League got another in the third and three in the fourth to lead 5-2. There's a pitch swung on by Phil Macy, hit high into the air, fouled down the right field line. George McQuinn giving chase to it under it, makes the catch some 45, 50 feet. Down the line, past first base, and in foul territory. Two up and two away quickly for the National League in the eighth inning. And here comes Buddy Kerr of the New York Giants, a native of New York. Another in the long line of native New Yorkers who have reached Major League fame, including people like the late Lou Gehrig and Joe Judge and Hank Greenberg, who incidentally is here today. Buddy Kerr, right-hand batter, swings and fouls it off behind the plate. Strike one. Buddy Kerr replaced Pee Wee Reese at short. Keltner third. Stephen Short, door second, McQuinn first. Coleman pitching. Kerr taking a curve high outside. One and one now the count. Coleman asks for a new ball. Bertie Tebbets turns around and gets it from Beans Reardon. Outfield playing Buddy, step toward left. Coleman working rapidly, delivers. Pitch is bunted but fouled off to the left of the plate. Buddy Kerr, who's off and running, has to come back. He's trying to get on any way he could, perhaps start something. And the count is one and two on the National League shortstop. Now your delivery is outside. Ball two. Two two the count. Two balls, two strikes, two outs. Eighth inning, five to two. American League. Coleman getting the sign from Bertie Tubbitt. Leans forward into the windup. Around comes the right arm. The pitch. Curveball. Just outside for ball three. Coleman started to take that walk off the mound toward the dugout. But Beans Reardon said no. Ball three. So we have a full count on Buddy Kerr with two outs here in the eighth. And the payoff pitch is strike three called a curveball. It got the outside corner as Buddy started to take a walk. He stops at home plate to argue with Beans Reardon. But to no avail. No runs for the National League. No hits. No errors for the American League. Nobody left on for the National League. And at the end 
of seven and a half innings. The score, American League 5, National League 2. Fans, you'll never know what modern shaving speed and ease are like until you use the improved Gillette Super Speed Razor that changes blades instantly. This razor has a notched positioning bar for use with the Gillette Blue Blade Dispenser. You just hook on a blade and it falls in place, presto. Then twist the handle and you're ready for the smoothest, most refreshing shave you ever had. Now, man, it doesn't take a locksmith to make this combination click, no sir. There's nothing to fit together, nothing to jam or clog. Cleaning is no trick either. Simply loosen the razor, rinse, and shake. Why not enjoy this extra shaving comfort and convenience? Ask for the improved Gillette Super Speed Razor with 10-blade Gillette Dispenser. Get this regular $1.50 value for only a dollar. Ready now for the last half of the eighth inning. It'll be George McQuinn, Bertie Tebbets. First two men up for the American League. And then Joe Coleman is scheduled to follow. Ewell Blackwell delivers to the left-hand hitter. McQuinn swings and he misses. Strike one. McQuinn's been in there all the way. He's had two out of three. Singling his last two times up. The Cincinnati right-hander throws. Fastball that backs McQuinn away. Ball one. Now the 1-1 pitch to McQuinn. Backs him away again. This was a curveball. And the count is 2-1. and one. High inside pitch. Outfield playing toward right and center and right straight away and left. The big hole in left center. Here's your pitch. McQuinn swings and sends a ground ball down the first baseline. Johnny Mize eats it up. A race to the bag. Mize wins it. McQuinn is out. And there's one away in the last half of the eighth inning for the American League. And now Bertie Tebbett strolls to the plate. Ewell Blackwell is one of the few sidearm sinker specialists, right-handers, who is almost equally as tough on left-hand hitters as he is on the right-hand hitters. He pitches now to Bertie Tebbett's outside, ball one. You see, Blackwell is a very tall fellow, and he takes a step out toward that third base line and when the ball comes in over the plate, it looks as if it's coming in from third base. Now the pitch just misses the outside corner for ball two. Blackwell is a native of California. Lives in San Dimas, California right now. Was born in Fresno. The 2 nothing delivery. Outside, ball three. Three balls, no strikes. Three nothing to count on Bertie Tebbets. Blackwell's father is out here today to watch his son in action. We had the pleasure of meeting him as folks stirred around about St. Louis last evening, all agog about the All-Star game. Now the pitch is over the inside corner for a call strike. Tebbets start to take a walk, and Beans Erden hollered out strike. Perhaps you may have heard it in the background over these microphones. And of course, that stirred uh, some excitement from the fans. Five to two American League. Last half of the eighth inning, one out, nobody on. The 3-1 pitch to Tebbets. Outside, ball four, and Birdie walks. That's the seventh base on balls issued by National League pitchers today. And Blackwell uh, walks in toward the plate to argue with Beans Reardon. Not too vehemently, but he's a little bit uh, irked 
And uh, he starts back toward the mound and stops and turns around and hollers something else back to Beans. To all intents and purposes, he's merely saying, as Jim uh, Britt and I often hear the ball players talk, he's merely asking Beans to give him a break on the corner. All right, here's Joe Coleman up there to hit for himself, right-hander. Bertie Tebbett's on first, one out, last the eighth inning, 5-2 American League. Buell Blackwell ready to work the stretch. Here's the pitch. Coleman bunts and fouls it off to the right of the plate. Strike one. It was quite a nice gesture on the part of the baseball commissioner to allow Burt Schotten to throw out the first ball today. Burt Schotten, who directed the Brooklyn Dodgers to the 1947 National League pennant. Everybody seemed very pleased with it. Now the pitch to Coleman. He takes a fastball low. Ball one, one and one. Bert Schotten was the guest of the National League at the game today. One ball, one strike, one out. Tebbett leads off first. Blackwell pitching to Coleman. Here it is. Coleman bunts and pops it in the air, but Blackwell can't get it. Gets by him, but Myers is backing up, picks it up, throws to Rigney, covering first in time for the out on Coleman. It was a little low pop, about three feet off the ground. Blackwell dashed in, reached down for it, but the ball hit in front of his glove, bounded by him, but Mize backed him up near the mound and tossed over to Rigney, covering first for the out on Coleman. It's a sacrifice. Moving Tebbets down to second, and with two down, here is Al Zarilla, left-hand batter, having a great year with the St. Louis Browns. Blackwell ready to work. Here's his pitch. Swung on and missed strike one. A sweeping curveball that had Zerilla fooled all the way. The National League started Branca, came on with Schmitz, who fared worst of all today. Schmitz was relieved by Sane, and Blackwell in turn took over for Sane. Now the pitch. Swung on, hit up into the air, out into center field. Going back for it is Stan Muschel. He's under it, makes the catch in deep center for the third out of the inning. No runs for the American League. No hits. No National League errors. One left on for the Americans. A total of eight that they've stranded. The National League has stranded nine men during the course of the ball game. And we're all set to move into the top half of the ninth inning with the American League leading 5-2. to two. As we indicated to you, ladies and gentlemen, Franz Locks will be on at the conclusion of this game to give you a recapitulation on how the runs were scored so we shan't bother you with those details at the present time. They'll be given to you very shortly. At the moment, we pause for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Going into the top half of the ninth inning, the National League trailing by three runs. It's 5-2 to two American League. And we're going to have a pinch hitter for Ewell Blackwell. Bobby Thompson, as we check of the New York Giants is going to come up to bat for Blackwell. He will be followed by Ralph Kiner. 
And then Bill Rigney is scheduled to follow. So the National League comes up in the ninth inning, trailing 5-2. to two. Bobby Thompson making his first appearance in an all-star ball game. Right-hand batter, Joe Coleman, into the wind-up throws. Thompson takes the curve outside for ball one. Bobby's one of the few Major League ball players that was born in a foreign country. He swings and fouls it off onto the screen. Strike one. He was born in Glasgow, Scotland, but now resides in Staten Island, New York. Of course, he came over here when he was quite young and learned the American game and learned it well. The right-hand hitter swings and fouls it off. Strike two. Phil Marshallton of the Athletics is a Canadian to give you another example. Here's the pitch over the head of Bobby Thompson, ball two. Elmer Ballow of the Philadelphia A's was born in Ribnik, Czechoslovakia to add another as we quickly search our memory. Two balls, two strikes to count. On Bobby Thompson, pinch hitting for Ewell Blackwell, ninth inning, five to two American League. And here comes the rain and the folks are scattering out of the boxes. Coleman delivers. Swung on and missed by Bobby Thompson. Strike three, and there's one out in the ninth inning. Coming to bat is Ralph Kiner. And the rain, kind enough to hold off till the ninth inning here with one out, begins to come down at Sportsman's Park in St. Louis. And Ralph Kiner steps to the plate for the first time in the ball game. Joe Coleman's into the windup. Here's the pitch. Kiner swings and sends a ground ball wide of third. Keltner in front of Stevens up with it over to McQuinn in time for out number two. So they're two away from the National League in the ninth inning. And here's Bill Rigney of the New York Giants coming to bat with a score five to two in favor of the American League. And the rain is beginning to come down. And perhaps our prayerful remarks over the past few innings asking the rain to stay away were heated at least up until this point, with two outs on the top of the ninth inning, with Joe Coleman into the windup, pitching to the right-hand batter, and it's high inside for ball one. One ball, no strikes. Five to two American League, ninth inning. Joe Coleman delivers. Pitch is low. Ball two, two balls, no strikes, and the rain is really beginning to pour down hard, and the umpires are hopeful, to a degree, that the game will be able to be concluded in its entirety before the rains pour down too hard. There are two outs here in the ninth inning. Two balls, no strikes on Rigney. The rain pouring and the pitch is inside for ball three. Three balls, no strikes. And ladies and gentlemen, with everybody scattering out of the field boxes, remaining and taking his soaking is Commissioner Chandler. The pitch is high ball four. Rigney walks. Commissioner Chandler refuses to budge out of his seat along with his two boys, Ben and Sam. And he's sitting right out there in it. His sentiments being, I'm the commissioner of baseball. Baseball is my game, and I'm going to stick with it. Rain or no rain. Here is Stan Musio. That's him left-handed. And the pitch. Musio takes in there for a call strike. Rigney got a base on balls. Two outs, ninth inning. 5-2, to two, favor the American League. The stretch by Coleman, pitching to Musial. 
The left-hand batter takes outside now for ball one, one and one. Stan hit a home run in the first inning, single to center in the third, struck out in the fifth, and walked in the seventh. Coleman all set again. Checks his runner. Here's the pitch. Musial swings and sends a ground ball out to Bobby Doerr. Up with it. There's the throw over to George McQuinn in time for the out, and the ball game is over. And the American League defeats the National League by a score of 5-2 to two to become victorious for the 11th time in 15 games. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we come to the end of this 15th annual All-Star Classic brought to you with the best wishes and compliments of the Gillette Safety Razor Company in another of its cavalcade of sports. We hope that you enjoyed the play-by-play description of this game, and it was a real pleasure to once again have been associated with Jim Britt, who brought you the first four and a half innings, and Franz Locks, who will give you the summary. And this is Mel Allen thanking you very much for tuning us in this afternoon, and we hope to see you again soon. And now, here is France Locks. Thank you very much, Mel. And first, I want to compliment you and Jim Britt on doing a splendid job here this afternoon and giving the fans a play-by-play description of this game. A little rundown on actually what happened and how it happened. The totals on the game for the National League show two runs, eight hits, no errors. For the American League, five runs, six hits, and no errors. The National being two up on hits, but they were a little bit down on runs. They started off by registering two runs in the very first inning. The National League, incidentally, had a total of ten men left on base, while the American League had a total of eight men. Johnny Schmitz, who was in there for the Chicago Cubs, was charged with a loss this afternoon, and Vic Rashi, who went in to relieve Masterson after Masterson went out of the ball game, was the winning pitcher. And incidentally, that makes the sixth time that a New York Yankee pitcher has been the winning pitcher in the All-Star Classic. Last year, it was Shea of the New York Yankees. And then in 1942, it was Fudd Chandler. And Gomez had three of them to his credit in 1933, again in 1935, and in 1937. So the Yankees really have a monopoly on the winning pitchers in the All-Star game. The game started off in the first inning with Masterson on the mound for the Washington Senators, and it looked like the National League was really going to go to town. When Richie Ashburn smashed one down through the box, Joe Gordon made a great stop over back of second base, but his throw was a little bit high, and it was an infield hit for Ashburn. And then Shane Deese, uh, while Shane Deese was batting, Ashburn moved down to second base, getting credit for a stolen base. And then Shane Deese grounded out unassisted with uh, Ashburn moving over to third. And then Stan Musial stepped up to the plate. And after having to count two strikes and one ball, he hit one on top of the right center field pavilion for a home run to put the National League out in the lead. And that's the only runs that they scored for the day. Johnny Mize followed up with a single. And then Enos Slaughter walked. But they couldn't produce any more hits there in the first inning to get any more runs. Now, the American League came up with their first run in the second inning after one away when Hoodiever sent a line drive into the left field seats. The American Leaguers came back to tie the ball game in the last half of the third without the assistance of a hit. Two walks and a double steal resulted in the damage there in that inning. Vic Rashi, who happened to be the first batter up, walked. And then Pat Mullen also walked on four straight pitches. Then Hendrick struck out, was called out on strikes. And while he was batting, they worked the double steal on the third strike with uh, Rashi moving over to third. 
And uh, Mullen down to second base. And then Lou Bedreau sent a fly ball out to slaughter in right field. And the runner scored with the run that tied up the ball game. Then their final three runs came in the fourth inning after one away on a neat play by Pee Wee Reese, who took care of a fly ball by Hoot Ebers. It looked like it was going to fall in there for Texas Leaguer. And then two singles, a walk, and another single. And that single, incidentally, was by the pitcher, Rashi. Drove in two of the runs. Another one scored on an outfield fly. And that produced the margin of the scoring for the afternoon. For the rest of the way out in the ball game, it was an even struggle, you might say. Although Blackwell, the whip who was on there, was in a jam a couple times, he still managed to come out without any damage. So this is a 15th annual All-Star Classic. The American League has now won 11. The National League, four of these games. So fans, the story of another great All-Star game goes into the record book. But Gillette's cavalcade of sports carries on. Thursday night, Gillette presents a special sports program with guest boxing experts from cities around the Fistic Circuit. Plan to be at your radio and enjoy the fun. Consult your newspaper for local time and station. This is Franz Locks with Mel Allen and Jim Brent saying smooth sailing, smooth shaving, and good afternoon for your radio host, the Gillette Safety Razor Company. This broadcast came to you from Sportsman's Park in St. Louis. Checkerboard Jamboree, sponsored by the Ralston Purina Company, was canceled today only because of the broadcast just concluded. Stay tuned now for Queen for a Day, which follows over most of these stations in just a moment. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. <laughs> 